1: From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald Face truth.
0: I don't like to be known as a guy who said stupid things, but I've said some stupid things over the year. Anytime you have a microphone, an open microphone in front of you for three hours a day, five days a week, 52 weeks a year, you're going to occasionally put your foot in your mouth. Like, you know, years ago when Gary Anderson was the Oregon State football coach, he was on the scene, had a little momentum. Beavers beat the Ducks uh, in that uh, Civil War game. Ryan Nall ran like crazy. You remember Mark Helfrich. That was his uh, essentially his last football game as Oregon's coach. I declared at the time that Gary Anderson had the answers, that Gary Anderson was going to be the coach that led Oregon State. Back to relevance. A ball game, no doubt. Gary Anderson was going to be the guy. I looked back and I thought, you know what? That was not a smart thing that I said. Gary Anderson didn't even last the next season. Walked away. Some stupid things have been said. I wrote about it today at JohnConzano.com, but I, I wrote about one of the stupidest things that I have heard said about the Pac-12 conference in the last few years Michael Crow Arizona State's president 2019 January of 2019 did an interview with the Arizona Republic newspaper while the Pac-12 was in crisis while it was bleeding cash Michael Crow told Jeff Metcalf of the Arizona Republic he said quote what somebody will be writing about 3 years from now or 4 years from now will be how did the Pac-12 get ahead of us how did the Pac-12 get so far ahead? Michael Crow thought that was going to happen. It ends up being one of the dumbest things that was said about the Pac-12 conference. Uh, I have some other candidates for things that were dumb that were said about the Pac-12. Now, now granted, now granted in, all, in all defense of myself with Gary Anderson, it's probably not one of the five dumbest things that was said, but I'm going to throw it in there. Because I want to be fair, right? So Michael Crow said a dumb thing. I said a dumb thing. How about Larry Scott? Larry Scott, the former Pac-12 commissioner, 2011 at Pac-12 Media Day. Larry Scott got up on the uh, stage in front of the podium. He had notes with him. And this was broadcast on the Pac-12 network. Uh, Larry Scott declared... Uh, you know, here we were in the Fox Studios in Los Angeles, and he said, quote, First, let me start by welcoming you to the Fox Studios here in Los Angeles. The first time we're holding our media day here in Los Angeles, the entertainment capital of the world, an important center for the Pac-12 conference. That was Larry Scott in 2011. Uh, here we are in 2022, uh, Fox still involved with, uh, with the Pac-12 or at least a couple of Pac-12 teams. Los Angeles is still the entertainment capital of the world, but if it were an important center for the Pac-12 conference, would we really be talking about a Pac-12 conference that will have to live without Los Angeles? The center is still under command of Fox, but now it belongs to the Big Ten. Also, uh, eight years later, Pac-12 Football Media Day, Larry Scott, he said, quote, we own and control all of our media rights and we have our rights coming up in 2024, we continue to feel very good about how we're positioned for the future. And yet here we are, uh, just a few short years later, same year as Michael Crow that he declared uh, all was well. Here we are, and the PAC-12 is uh, in limbo. It has been quiet in the last 24 hours. I've noticed that the normal sources that were talking early – I told you this on yesterday's show. I thought that we were going to encounter a little lull, and I think we are in the middle of a lull right now. Part of it is because the Pac-12 is engaged, I believe, with ESPN negotiating. They're in a 30-day negotiation window. They are on day two, two and a half of that window, depending on when they started it. And the Pac-12 now exclusively will negotiate with Fox and negotiate with ESPN. Those are the only two parties uh, that they can can start negotiating right now. This is an exclusive negotiating period. So if you are somebody who is interested in the PAC-12 conference uh, finding its way out of this hole, then you're probably an Oregon State or a Washington State fan or maybe you're a traditionalist. If you're somebody who is interested in seeing the PAC-12 conference totally implode you might be a Duck fan. You might be a Husky fan. You might be even a Stanford fan because the scenarios in which the Pac-12 conference stay together involve those three teams, Washington, Stanford, and Oregon, sticking in the conference, uh, this partnership that we have talked about. I do think this thing is in play. But what I have noticed here in the last 12 to 15 hours is we're starting now to get a lot of rumoring, a lot of unsubstantiated reports, uh uh, a lot of the non-traditional people who haven't been covering the Pac-12 conference are weighing in with wild theories, and and I think it is muddying the waters some. But what I'm here to tell you is, you know, go slow with what you're hearing. Don't jump to too many conclusions. I think the uh, the obvious uh, thing that is happening right now is there is a negotiation going on between Fox, ESPN, Pac-12, possibly the ACC. Um, I do believe that ESPN ultimately walks away with the Pac-12's media rights. I do believe that the Pac-12 is going to stay together unless there is some kind of landmark development on the horizon, such as uh, uh, Stanford or Washington or Oregon uh, suddenly out of the blue being invited into the Big Ten Conference or somewhere else. Um, I I am uh, leaning towards Notre Dame staying independent for now. Uh, I am, uh, you know, I am leaning that direction, but uh, you know, money talks at the end of the day. I want a bunch of your phone calls on today's show, but we're going to do a little something different today. We're going to go to Southern California. We're going to go to the epicenter of what happened with the Pac-12 conference last Thursday. We're going to go to USC territory. Ryan Abraham, who is the owner and operator of USCFootball.com. Uh, had me on his podcast earlier today, and I we got into uh, I think a lot of good topics and a lot of good discussions. But I want to flip the tables on him on today's show. I want Ryan to kind of talk to us about what it was that drove USC to this point. What could have What could the Pac-12 Conference have done differently with USC, if anything? And what are the expectations for USC? Do they feel guilty at all? By the way, we'll talk to Ryan Abraham. Uh, coming up on the show here in the 3 o'clock hour about the USC mindset or viewpoint when it comes to what happened in the last week. Then we will go to Salt Lake City at 4 o'clock. Bill Riley, ESPN 700. He is the biggest Utes honk in, on planet Earth. He is the voice of Utah sports. He's going to tell us what Utah is looking for. Like I suspect Utah is pulling itself into the fold here wants to stick with the Pac-12 members. I've heard all this uh, rumor and uh, talk about the Big 12 trying to peel away a bunch of Pac-12 schools. I only think that can happen if uh, the aforementioned teams, Washington, Oregon, and Stanford, decide they don't want to be part of the Pac-12. I think if those three teams are in, this conference is glued together. I think that this conference is going to form a partnership with the ACC, I think that this conference will probably look to add two members, maybe four members, ultimately, over the next couple of years. And I think George Klyovkov and the Pac-12 are going to come out of this uh, saying, look, we did the best possible thing we could do in negotiating our media rights without the L.A. market. I think ESPN is going to walk away a winner because I think they're going to get a whole bunch of Pacific time zone inventory that they didn't have before. I think all those games that you saw on FS1 and and on the Pac-12 network are now – Uh, probably destined to be part of the ESPN family. They could be on the ACC network. They could be on ESPN Plus. But I think that's kind of the direction this is all heading. I want your phone calls, 503-417-7575. Comments, questions, there's no dumb ones. Honestly, when it comes to this stuff, I've heard it all. Uh, One of the things I think people are having a hard time with is sort of the difference between uh, brand and popularity, and impact of a college football program, and then simply the television households, the footprint of television as it comes to teams inside college football. Like, what is the difference? How do those things matter? I dove deep on it. Uh, you know, I got a little inside baseball uh, with the column I posted this morning. And if you are a subscriber, you got it in real time in your email inbox. The minute I posted it, boom, it shows up for you. But I literally included a spreadsheet in there that shows you all of the Power Five conference teams and it demonstrates sort of the impact of households. This is the, the data that will be available as ESPN and Fox negotiate with the Pac-12. You can literally see why it is uh, that the Pac-12 conference would be interested in the ACC. You can see why it is that the Big Ten is probably not interested in Oregon or Washington or Stanford unless they are married to... Uh, Notre Dame, and they come into the Big Ten. And you can see what is happening now as Fox and ESPN are jockeying for geography and power inside college football. And frankly, the SEC and the Big Ten, uh, I, I sort of think that they are lock in lockstep trying to cut everyone else out of the college football playoff. I think those two conferences want the vast majority of teams and money so if you are the Pac-12, I think the play that you have to make here is a play that is a short-term, five-year window. Hey, can we stay close to the Big Ten? Can we stay close to the SEC? Because where has the Pac-12 found itself in this Power 5 structure that that is about to blow up? They have found themselves as either the third, the fourth, or the fifth best conference. I think if they can emerge from this and find themselves uh, firmly sitting in the three position – behind the Big Ten and behind the SEC in partnership with the ACC, I think the Pac-12 can look back at this and go, hey, look, we did about as good as we could possibly do with the circumstances. Let's take some phone calls. Uh, No dumb questions, 503-417-7575. Tony's in Vancouver. Tony, welcome to the program.
2: John, you can can blame The Big 12,
0: Larry Scott. There's three reasons why this conference failed. Yeah, your your phone's breaking up, Tony, but I want to take your call. Maybe the screener can jump on that, and uh, we'll see if we can get you back. Roy is in Portland. Go ahead, Roy.
3: Hey, John. You know, um, I think the Pac-12 can survive, but um, they got to raid Texas, man. Yes. I mean, Texas is where everybody is moving to, man. A lot of Californians, a lot of people from the West Coast, a lot of people from the Midwest moving to Texas. Texas got a lot of Fortune 500 companies moving to Texas. Texas is where you want to be at, you know. So you gotta you gotta hit Texas. I mean that's that's your that's your best chance of survival now. And you gotta you gotta take the schools away from the Big Twelve. I mean, you know, I I, I just had no idea of how important USC and UCLA was. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean maybe I'm naive. I I didn't know that just those two schools would cause all this like if you if georgia left the sec uh, the sec wouldn't fall apart you know the sec still be there if alabama left the sec the sec wouldn't fall apart maybe that's because alabama is not you know like one of the the uh, big tv market it's you know it's not uh it it, is it's not bigger than than atlanta so maybe that's why the best you know The best school in the SEC, if they left, it wouldn't, the SEC wouldn't
4: fall apart.
0: Yeah, and I also think, let's not, let's not, wait, Roy, let's not give UCLA a bunch of credit, because I think this is really about USC, and UCLA just happened to be there, right? Let's, this is about getting LA, this is about, you know, and and granted, everybody knows the last 10 years, USC football, they've been outplayed by Oregon, hell, they got outplayed by Oregon State a year ago. Yeah,
3: yeah, but like, I, I understand that, but. I'm a traditionalist, too. And, 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 and I'm going to tell you, I didn't want Texas and Oklahoma in the SEC. No. I didn't want them in the SEC. I didn't want – honestly, I didn't want Texas and them Arkansas in the SEC either. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, it it's just – it happened. And um, I don't like the fact that Texas and Oklahoma is in the SEC. I wish they would have remained in the Big 12 because, to me, they don't fit. But, you know, you know, that's the way it is. And that's the way it is in college football nowadays. So um, I just I, I don't want to see the Pac-12. I don't want to see the Pac-12 go go down. And, and and some part of me I think that the Big Ten feels bad too. Like you gotta feel bad if you are the Big Ten, even if you wanted the LA schools. I mean that, that tradition that 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 rivalry between the, the Pac-12 over the years. You gotta feel bad if you Big Ten people seeing the Pac-12 uh, possibly you know go down.
0: Yeah, you know and I think. I mean? They're going to justify it, Roy, by saying, hey, this is just the times we're in. But I think you're right. I think we're going to look back 15 years from now, and I think USC and UCLA are probably going to go, look, we took the money. Did it work out? No. We got our teeth kicked in. Penn State beat us. Ohio State beat us. Lincoln Riley won seven games a year. The, you know, the travel on all those other teams was brutal. Uh, but, you know, we got paid. But what got lost in the interim was the Rose Bowl and the tradition. You're right.
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know how it's going to work out for, for, I, I just, I just keep getting that travel into my head and I'm like, I cannot see this working out. I, I just can't. It's just too far. It's too far uh, traveling. You know, you got to think about the kids. Academics. I know it's a lot of money, but I, I don't know if it was just, I guess, I don't know if it was just people looking at the money and said, everything else be there. We're getting this hundred million dollars a year. And, um, I don't know if I don't know if everything was thought through because there's going to be some tough games. Oh yeah, I mean it's not going to be a cakewalk for USC or UCLA. So,
0: hundred percent. I think I think history. Look, we often do this stuff, and I I want to be fair to USC and UCLA. I think that all twelve athletic departments in the Pac-12 would have strongly considered or made the jump without even thinking, given the option to collect $71 million a year. Now we know UCLA was thinking about dropping sports. We know that USC was unhappy with the revenue share. They were getting the same revenue that Washington State, Oregon State, Arizona. Everybody was getting equal shares. We know now that they were unhappy with that. Uh, But I think they are going to look back. I think the caller's right. I think there's going to be... Regret about breaking up a conference that dated all the way back to 1915, founded in downtown Portland as the Pacific Coast Conference. I think we're also going to hear, um, I think, some regret in the short term. I would expect around 2025, 2026, you're going to start hearing squawking from the Pac-12, you know, the former Pac-12 teams at UCLA and USC that aren't football like baseball, softball, volleyball, golf, tennis, water polo. Like, are those teams really going to be happy traveling to Purdue to go to go play their games, or and then having to turn around, get no practice time, and end up, uh, you know, back in L.A. for two days, and then hey, back on the road to Minnesota. Like that, I think it's going to be a real grind for those teams. And and in the end, we have what we have seen with these TV deals too is we have seen the money uh what looks like a sweetheart deal within about three or four years suddenly everybody else catches up and I am really interested to see, you know, where are the media valuations, where is the money five years from now? Can the Pac twelve, you know, in the interim, get enough that it can survive, get enough that it can pull the members together. Can they somehow lure Texas or, or excuse me, Houston or Baylor from the state of Texas into the Pac-Twelve conference? If they can do those things and increase the value of their media rights, uh, all of a sudden, maybe the PAC-12, instead of being a $30 million a year distribution to every member, maybe it's maybe it's 42. Maybe they're back where they were, and maybe you know, it, maybe in five years, the, the media contracts uh, uh, escalate to the point where the PAC-12 steps to the front of the line. I don't know, but I know right now it's about survival. I want your phone calls, 503-417-7575. We'll talk about the Pac-12. There are no dumb questions. Later in the show, Phil Knight goes on offense. Oh, yeah, I think that's what we saw today. I'll tell you more about what I uh, what I mean about that coming up.
1: You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
0: I want your questions on the Pac-12 front, 503-417-7575. We'll talk about Phil Knight going on offense uh, later in the program. Let's go to Tony in Vancouver. Go to the uh, Tony in Vancouver. What's up, man? Hey, John. Uh, Three reasons why the Pac-12 are where they're at. USC, Washington, Oregon,
5: the standard bearers of this conference. Nothing in forty five years. Never won eight titles. What, USC won one twenty five years ago and before that it was Don James when I was in high school, I'm sixty three. And how you can't you can't demand respect, you gotta earn it. Right now the standard bearer of this conference is from the Mountain West. That's Utah. I mean, how are we supposed to compete? If you can't compete you can't you can't get respect, John.
0: Yeah, I I agree with that. I also though, you know, the series I did in twenty eighteen and twenty nineteen I really started looking at Larry Scott, the Pac-12 commissioner, right around 2015. And I was hearing some squawking from some of the schools who were unhappy with sort of how he was treating the athletic directors, how he was treating staff members, how he was uh, sort of gaming the system. I was told that often when there were votes to be had inside the Pac-12 conference that Larry Scott, the Pac-12 commissioner, would call around prior to the vote and sort of steer what the outcome that he wanted he was talking to the university presidents and he was saying hey look here's how i think it's going to go here's he was lobbying uh, essentially and i didn't think that that was the role that the commissioner should have i thought that you know let these let the universities let the process play itself out but he was gaming the vote a little bit and i started looking at him and then the more i learned the more i understood why this conference was struggling they were underfunded versus their peers. They were spending way more money uh, relative to their peers. You know it all. Pac-12 headquarters, you know what the rent cost, you know what Larry Scott and his, wasn't just Larry Scott, but his entire executive team was overpaid. And they were in downtown San Francisco buying up real estate and going to cocktail parties and hanging out and schmoozing with all the CEOs of the tech companies. And the truth is, they did not do what was best for this conference, and I don't. I can't blame Oregon and Washington and Oregon State and Utah and USC when the checks they were getting from the Pac-12 were a fraction of what the other conferences were giving their members. Uh, they were underfunded, and they weren't just underfunded in like a one or two or three year window. It was a decade. We were talking about a hundred to two hundred million dollars difference between what Oregon and Oregon State got from the Pac-12 versus, like, Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia. I mean, think about that. Think about, you know, if you wrote a $100 million check to Oregon State and said, hey, go be better in football, what Oregon State would do with that? Like, it would be a tremendous advantage. And that is why the Pac-12 fell out. Mike is in Portland. That opens a line, by the way, at 503-417-7575. Mike, go ahead.
6: Hey, John, how you doing? Thank you for having me on. You bet. Yeah. I agree with you 100 percent on the Larry Scott deal, but I'm mean, complicit with that is also the athletic directors and the presidents. They, they completely lost track of what they were supposed to be doing there, which is developing, you know, a college sports as a student athlete, and it was all about you know riding it high and the money with Larry Scott and the presidents. I don't know what the hell they were thinking. Right. And now you're, and now you're sitting there saying, okay, you know, with USC and UCLA. Uh, we're grabbing the money, but forget what the uh, student-athlete has to do. Forget that they have to go to Maryland and out to Pennsylvania. I mean, when are these kids are even going to be in the classrooms, especially the baseball and the basketball guys that are already traveling like crazy and you know, are playing two games a week? You know, you know, where in the world do these folks are actually acting like adults and saying this is what their responsibility is to the student-athlete versus just, you know, I don't know, grabbing the money and running for their own you know, lining their own pockets.
0: Yeah, yeah. You're right about, you know, I'm not going to put it on the ADs because they don't really hire or put pressure on the commissioner, but I'm going to put it on the university presidents. I think you got that a hundred percent right. I mean, I, there was a core group of chancellors and presidents that hired Larry Scott that just for whatever reason refused to see sort of the logic of, you know, you know, it's time to move on from this guy. Like, You know, I think, you know, to be fair, he wasn't an awful hire when they hired him in 2010. It was about 2015 where it was like, okay, football has moved in one direction, and what the hell is this guy doing? And at that point, I think the conference needed Michael Crow at Arizona State, they needed Ed Ray at Oregon State, and they needed Gene Block at UCLA to kind of move off of that hardline, old guard position and see the new world and they really didn't. Those those presidents in particular supported Larry Scott to the bitter end. Austin is in Salt Lake City, wants to talk about the Pac twelve. Go ahead, Austin. Hey John, can you hear me? Yeah. Hey,
7: um so I know you're having our boy uh, Bill on later, but he yes. had um Dave Bartu from College Football Matrix on his radio show earlier and he brought up a good point. With all these big brands going congregating to one conference does eventually we've seen how all this realignment and, you know, take Nebraska. I kind of feel like they were worth more as a brand before they went to the Big Ten. Um, just years years after getting their teeth kicked on, I'm pretty sure that's going to happen to UCLA and USC. For ESPN and Fox, is it not smarter for them to keep, you know, some of these regional powers in their regions because they're worth more beating off, you know, uh, Pray rather than going into conferences just full of predators. Thank
0: you, yeah, and I think you're right. Like you know, here's another thought that I've had in the last day or so. I mean, it's really, you know, it's obvious that the universities are chasing new revenue. It's that's obvious. The landscape has changed. The culture has changed. Name, image, likeness. You know, in UCLA's case, it, it was apparent that you know they were bleeding. They had a bad deal with Under Armour that got blown up. They had uh, tremendous expenses. They were not getting the revenue that a team in the Los Angeles market probably needed to survive, and they were about a year away from having to go. Hey, we got to cut some sports. Um, you know, I do think that part of this equation now is going to be about these conferences trying to monopolize the playoff. I think the Big Ten and the SEC want a, a brand new college football playoff deal. Uh, I think the participants and the conferences that get into the playoff are going to be rewarded handsomely from a financial standpoint, and I think um, I think those two conferences want to monopolize it. They want to grab as many of those 12 uh, playoff spots that are going to be available when they expand the playoff, uh, You know, and I think that's really where it's headed. All right, I want you to leave it here. Ryan Abraham is coming up. He is the owner and operator of uscfootball.com. Are the Trojans feeling guilty at all? A little bit of guilt? We'll ask Ryan about it coming up.
1: Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
0: Our next guest is a great follow on Twitter. He's also uh, got his finger on the pulse of USC Athletics. At inside Troy on Twitter the owner and publisher of UScfootball.com Ryan Abraham is joining us uh, Ryan I appreciate you making time uh, from beautiful Hermosa Beach California. Are you on the beach?
5: I am actually in uh, Massachusetts visiting my family <laughs> so uh, I'm, on a, I'm on the East Coast so, man yeah.
0: I was I was thinking glamorous I had you in a lawn chair you had a big gulp you were at the ocean you know. All good. Uh, give me an idea, man. When this went down, did you see this coming? Did you expect USC to leave the Pac-12?
5: You know, the way it happened is probably more shocking than anything. Like, I talked to Mike Bone a couple years ago when he had told me that, you know, there, every op- option were on the table, you know. That we haven't seen USC in the past ever try to flex their muscles. It seemed like Mike Bone was willing to do that and look at whatever the options would be, not just going into the Pac-12. But how it went down and as quickly as it went down, you know, I give this USC administration credit. They kept the Clay Helton firing very quiet. Clay Helton was able to address the team before it even got out, that he wasn't going to be the head coach. The Lincoln-Riley thing, out of left field, and uh, no one knew that was coming. And then this one, too, I was at the Elite 11 quarterback camp in Redondo Beach, like the town next to me, and, you know, expecting to just cover a day of high school recruiting, just watching some quarterbacks throw the football, and this drops. And uh, holy cow, it just kind of changed everything so that the way it happened as quickly as it did I think that's what was shocking I thought USC would would eventually make a move but I thought it might be a little more back and forth between the Pac-12 not just kind of dropping the ball that boom they're gone and off the big 10 it was it was pretty shocking for me
0: yeah I think you know a lot of us immediately wondered why got angry at USC for you know the loss of tradition the splintering of the conference is there any was there any kind of second thought was there any backlash from alumni who said hey wait a minute uh i you know I, I i grew up in the pac-12 i don't want to leave this conference
5: yeah you know i did a twitter poll right away and it was pretty even if maybe 57 percent were approving now that might have been other pac-12 fans for sure on our message boards on football.com, it was more like the 75 percent then talking to people at usc i think for the most part the, the alumni, the boosters that they talked to, they were positive about this. There's certainly a group of people that, you know, they're tr- traditionalists. They don't want to see the weekender go away. They don't want to see, you know, playing Midwest teams instead of West Coast teams. And I, I think all of that's completely understandable. I mean, you look at the economics, and I think as this has gone on, the, the day, you know, it's only been a week or so since this happened, I think they're starting to kind of come around to the realities of how college football is changing and you really have to, you know, if you don't adapt, you're going to fall behind. It seems like USC and the whole Pac-12 was falling behind, and this was the solution that USC and UCLA came up with. And, uh, you know, with the, the kind of budgetary issues that all these athletic departments are having, it's hard to blame them. But I feel like if there might have been more initial pushback, John, in the beginning, and I think people are starting to come around to the idea like, all right, this seems like what's better for the long-term health of the athletic department.
0: Yeah, let's let's talk about USC uh, you know, from a competitive standpoint, what do you think happens to USC as it, you know, enters into Big Ten country and football and basketball and other sports?
5: Yeah, I mean, it's funny. So USC's in a transition right now. Obviously, they were 4-8 and eight last year. Terrible team. One of the worst defenses we've seen. Um, you make a big hire like Lincoln Riley, you bring in all these guys to the transfer portal, you expect, you know, results right away. And I think that's what Lincoln Riley expects and you know Utah's on the, the top of the mountain right now in the Pac-12 but that's in the same division obviously USC's got to get over that but looking forward I mean the first year in the in, you know they'll have two years under Lincoln Riley to kind of get ready I guess you could say for the Big Ten but that first year they open with LSU in Las Vegas they end the season against Notre Dame in the Coliseum and then they'll have most likely nine Big Ten games in between there somewhere so it's not going to be an easy first year And I, I think for football I mean, four or five trips to the Midwest every year. That's going to be, you know, that's not going to be easy. Uh, but I think for the other sports, it's going to be challenging as well. All the Olympic sports. If you're talking about basketball, there's going to be some pretty long road trips. And we've seen data in the NFL where you know West Coast teams traveling east have a lot more difficulty than East Coast teams traveling west. So that's definitely going to be something uh, that you know to, to watch for and see what you know if the wins and losses kind of suffer from doing that. But just you know from talking to people in the athletic department, they just felt like. This was the move they had to make uh, as far as keeping up things you could make so much more money, take care of all those Olympic sports that you might not have been able to keep around you know five years from now. they felt like it was the right thing to do and you sort of had to like weigh the pros and cons
0: was there anything the pac twelve could have done to make u s c not even explore this or maybe to make it difficult for u s c
5: yeah, I think I mean I don't know. Who were the owners who would be on if it's USC or, or George Kliavkoff? But you know, certainly there were some bad feelings about the way the the deal was structured. And the more you hear about the Vanderbilts and Purdue's of the world making two or three times as much money as, as like a USC or a Oregon or Washington, I mean that that kind of weighs on you. I think after a while, and the equal share part, knowing how big the Los Angeles market is and how important the USC brand is to the the conference, just felt like they were you know kind of carry the weight for the conference for a while, quite a while, even though they weren't winning at the rate that they should be. I mean, part of it's on USC for not having the, the kind of flagship program that they're supposed to be in the PAC 12. So I think that the talks would have had to been, it would have had to involve some sort of unequal share of, you know, dividing up the TV dollars. And I, I think something like that could have been talked about, but it just doesn't seem like for whatever reason on the PAC 12 side or the USC side, that really didn't get discussed. And it's sort of like USC came up with a, a solution they felt was was the right thing and kind of left with it. But I would have liked to see, you know, if and we don't know if there was. Maybe there was working behind the scenes, just wasn't working out. But it would have been good to see the Pac-12 and USC sort of try to hammer something out. Because uh, you know, I think if, if if all things are equal, you'd love to see that you know, Trojans play on the West Coast still. Um, obviously, with the money, it was not. But it it would have been the more ideal solution for me if the money could have worked out somehow.
0: Ryan Abraham with us, USCFootball.com. The, uh, the rapid reaction from recruits, um, from coaches, from players, uh, what did you hear on the football front?
5: Yeah, it's interesting. I think just the, you know, the ability to go into some of the, the huge venues in the, in the Big Ten, I think that's something that coaches that I've talked to have, you know that's the first thing they think about is, you know oh, we got to have a trip to the Horseshoe or the Big House or go to Happy Valley, like all those kind of things. Um, there's going to be some cool road trips, but there's a lot of travel. I think that's, uh, you know, one of the main things. On the recruiting side, that usually takes a little while for things to kind of get warmed up, but it'll be interesting to see if this opens up pipelines from the Midwest. You know, there's been uh, not as many linemen, I guess you could say, on the, the West Coast, um, so maybe you can go to the Midwest and recruit a few more linemen. Certainly the teams in the Midwest would like to come in and recruit California more. They're already recruiting it really hard, though. That'll be interesting to see. I think more a little bit down the road, uh, as far as that stuff goes. But it's it's one of those things that you know I think a lot of the the coaches and the fans and the and the recruits are they're all in shock. Like everyone's still kind of di- trying to digest this like seismic change in college football.
0: Ryan, let me ask you. You know, from a Lincoln Riley standpoint, in the next couple of seasons, um, you know, I had I had sort of penciled him in to have a nice season, but not a great season in year one. And then it was like, let's see what he can do. Um, Does this change the timeline? Or, you know, because, you know, when he enters the Big Ten, I think it is going to be a more competitive situation. I think, you know, know, of course there will be some, you know, there'll be Northwestern and some other games, Indiana, Purdue, that maybe aren't against the traditional powers. But I think week in and week out, it's going to be Wisconsin, Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, uh, Michigan State. That's not easy.
5: No, uh, it's definitely not. And I think under normal circumstances, if you look at a team that was 4-8 and eight and you look at a team that had a really bad defense, gave up 31 points a game or whatever it was, you know, you hire a coach and you expect them to maybe make a bowl game the next year. I, I definitely think the expectations are higher than that. Like at 8-4, and 9-3 and three, seems pretty reasonable to me just the way the schedule lays out. You're not playing Oregon. You're not playing Washington. You do get Notre Dame at home. I think the toughest one will be Utah and Salt Lake City—that'll definitely be a, a game that a lot of people are circling in the Pac-12. But I feel like if they just become like a competent football team, you know, winning eight games, potentially nine games—I think that's reasonable. But with all the pieces they added, like they are still upside there. I mean, there's a outside chance they could compete for the Pac-12 championship in year one. I'm not—I'm still going to, you know, put Utah down as my favorite to win the conference, but. I wouldn't be completely shocked if that was USC, but I think a lot of things would have to come together. They're doing really well in the offseason, but they haven't won a game yet, uh, you know, in September. Once that starts, and we'll see, you know, how this team could kind of get rolling, and, and I think that the key is going to be, I think they're going to score points. You get Caleb Williams, you got Jordan Addison, a whole bunch of receivers, and, you know, Travis Dye, you're familiar with. You know, I think they're going to be fine on offense, but on the defensive side, can they put that together? Because they bring some guys back? They, they brought in a lot of guys from the transfer portal, a whole new system with Alex Grinch, that we've seen in the Pac-12 before, you know, at Washington State. I think the defensive side is where the limitation is going to be. So they'll probably score enough points to win eight games just without even a a defense. But you put a good defense together, they can score some points. You know, then I think they're going to be pushing by the end of the year. They might look like a team that could compete for the Pac-12. Even if they've lost a few games, they'll be out of the race. I think they have that potential. But year two is probably when they get there, and then that's what you're going to hope is a springboard to get into uh, your first season in the Big Ten.
0: Matt, uh, we're talking to Ryan Abraham. Uh, you know, when I look at sort of the 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 next season, I am curious how USC will be greeted. They come to Corvallis in September, uh, early in the Pac-12 season. What do you expect?
5: Yeah, I mean, I, I expect. Uh, was it like Clever Lang said to uh, uh, to Rocky, like pain, like that? You know, like <laughs> I feel like they're going to make it as difficult as possible on these road games. i I've, I've reached out to friends that cover Texas and. Oklahoma, just to see. And they're like, yeah, I mean, it's it's a different sort of atmosphere if you're going to go to, like, Manhattan, Kansas and, and try to play a game there. Uh, you you know, USC is not really loved by the rest of the Pac-12 to begin with. Um, you know, it's tough to go to a place like Corvallis. Salt Lake City has always been a, a, a tough game for USC. Man, I think the crowds are going to be amped up uh, for this one. I think you're going to see USC, UCLA, any of those road games in the Pac-12, you know, outside of maybe the Bay Area. Like, you're going to see – some pretty hostile crowds, and, um, and we've already seen Twitter comments and people writing in about, "Yeah, wait until they get here. We're going to do this, we to do that." Um, so we'll see. And I think it's probably going to depend on how good. If USC starts playing well, it's probably going to be wrapped up and be even, you know, be even worse. And UCLA had a you know nice season last year. They won eight games. Uh, you know, I, I think both teams are going to be. Uh, they're going to the welcome match Not going to be <laughs> laid out the red carpet or anything when these teams come to town. So I think they can expect. Uh, you know, a lot of hatred towards them, which, I don't know, sometimes it fires a team up, but it's it's definitely going to be, I think, a tougher road environment, you know, than it normally would be under regular circumstances.
0: Give me an idea of what you think the Big Ten and the SEC are trying to do here. Uh, you've got the view now from the USC side, 20,000 feet. What are they, what's the end game?
5: You know, unfortunately, John, we talk about this, is there's no college football czar. There's no one that's looking for the betterment of the entire sport and keeping that in mind you have you know big entities and we had the five and it's sort of been whittling down to there's two big ones now and you know the sec and the big 10 are doing a great job but they're looking out for themselves and what's going to make the sec better and how do i compete um and you know the, the texas oklahoma you know first salvo comes and then the big 10 answers back with uh usc and ucla and then you have espn with one side and fox on another uh it just seems like that's the way we're going and you know, I'm hopeful that the Pac-12 can put it together. And, you know, you had written about the partnership with the ACC. Something like that could be really interesting. And maybe there's a third big league so it doesn't have to come down to like a two-party system, I guess you could say. But it's, you know, it's everyone kind of doing what's best for themselves, which you get like that. We all, you know, we all do that in our careers, whatever we have to do. But it would be nice to have some sort of governing body over the whole thing saying, wait, hold on. I know that's great for you, that's great for you. This is something that's good for both of you, and it's actually good for the entire sport. We just don't have anyone kind of doing that, and then just people kind of acting in their own best interest all the time now.
0: Ryan Abraham, USCfootball.com. Hey, I appreciate your time, Ryan. Keep up the work. Uh, for people who want to find your podcast, where do they go?
5: Yeah, go to the Peristyle podcast on any of the podcasting apps or the podcasting champion. We had you on today, John, so thanks for coming on for that. But we cover the... The Pac-12, at least for now, whatever this is going to look like. Hopefully, hopefully, it will still be together. But uh, yeah, Parastel, uh Podcast of Champions and Paristel Podcast, where you can find me,
0: Ryan Abraham, USCFootball.com, at Inside Troy on Twitter. Thank you for joining us. Our big splash is coming up, and it's a good one.
1: Back to the Bald faced Truth with John Canzano on 7:50. The game.
0: One week from today, we will be live from the Reserve Golf Course in Vineyards in Aloha for the 10th annual Bald Face Truth Foundation Celebrity Golf Tournament. Uh, A whole bunch of celebrity golfers, former trailblazers like Bobby Gross, uh, Miss Oregon will be out there, Ariel Freetag will be there, we will have, uh, uh, you know, Tom Gorman, former Major League Baseball pitcher. Mark Radford, who played in the NBA. Oregon baseball coach Mark Wasikowski is playing. Jace Coburn, the men's basketball coach at Portland State, is playing. Uh, Jimmy Joyce, former Major League Baseball umpire, will be out there. Athletic director John Johnson from Portland State will be among the celebrity golfers. Uh, How about Alex Molden, former NFL first-round draft pick, and Mike Walter, a multi-Super Bowl champion with the 49ers, He'll be out there as well. You can join the fun by tuning in to this radio station, 3 p.m. to 6 p.m., a week from today, Thursday, as the Bald Face Truth Foundation Celebrity Golf Tournament, 10th annual event, benefits kids. Basically, kids get to play musical instruments and go to summer camp and play sports because you tune in and because the sponsors, sponsors like Bricks Tavern and Adidas and Uh, Sponsors like High Caliber Millwrights and Biologic Resources and Gresham Ford and The Wall and First Call Heating and Cooling and Shoe Mill and Breakside Brewery among the sponsors as well. Uh, All have come together, Uh, the Candlish family, all come together uh, for a great cause and to uh, help kids in the community. That will be next Thursday, a week from today. This brings us to our big splash, and it's Splashy.
1: (laughs) The one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. it Where? Down there. The big splash!
0: Well, the New York Post is jumping in on the Blazers front. They had a story today. Headline, Toxic Trail Blazers owner Jody Allen should sell the team, say insiders. It's the NBA's biggest battle off the court. Phil Knight, Nike founder, made a $2 billion bid to buy the Blazers uh, from Jody Allen. Uh, the piece in the New York Post brings up uh, Jody Allen's uh, sexual harassment and bad behavior allegations. She's 63, worth reportedly more than $20 billion. She issued a statement uh, earlier this week saying that the team is not for sale. Uh, former Blazers president Larry Miller told the New York Post that Jody's making a mistake. Quote, I would say to her, absolutely take the offer, end quote. Larry Miller now works in the Nike empire as head of the Jordan brand. Uh, The New York Post uh, cites sources who say there's growing disarray behind the scenes. Uh, They talk about Neil Olshay's departure. They talk about uh, Chris McGowan's departure. And they have put some pressure on Jody Allen in this piece. Apparently, according to Larry Miller, Jody refused to take Phil Knight's call. When uh, Phil Knight tried to call and talk to her, she deferred him to Burt Cold. She also reportedly has refused to talk to Damian Lillard, who apparently reached out to her because he was having issues with the way the team was being run. So the New York Post is jumping in on this, and we're going to talk about it in Hour 2. But first, in hour two, we'll go to Salt Lake City. Bill Riley, ESPN 700, is going to be joining us. But, yes, my note to Jody Allen, I joined the New York Post in saying, sell the team, give it to somebody who would love it and nurture it and care for it. All right, hour number two is ahead. Bill Riley in Salt Lake City. We'll ask him what Utah wants.
1: BBFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth.
0: Well, we checked in with USC Insider last hour. Now we're going to go to Salt Lake City. I kind of want to make rounds around the Pac-12 conference and gauge how everybody's feeling. Like in Pullman, Washington, I can tell you they're nervous. Washington State fans are nervous. They don't have anywhere to go if the Pac-12 should splinter up. That's why they like the idea of the ACC and the Pac-12 partnering. So does Oregon State. Oregon State's been hunkered down, no public comment. But privately, uh, I think Oregon State is a little anxious about what is happening. They don't want to get left in what would essentially amount to the Mountain West Conference. Well, what about Utah? The Utes are the defending champions in the Pac-12 Conference in football. They have a season ticket wait list. I think they have an athletic director in Mark Harlan who knows what he's doing. They have a university president that uh, is locked in as well. Uh, I think Utah has an opportunity to surge if the Pac-12 stays together. But how are they feeling about everything? I, I don't think there's a better source to go to than ESPN Salt Lake City radio show host, the voice of Utah athletics, Bill Riley, joining us. Bill Riley, how you doing, man? Hey Johnny, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. I uh, you know, like everybody else. I'm trying to figure out what is going on. Where what's gonna what's gonna happen here? Uh, give me the uh, give me the initial rapid reaction from Salt Lake when you heard this a week ago. You know what was your show like?
8: Well, it ha- here here I'll paint you the picture. It's Thursday. I'm on remote, and you know what that means in radio. You're kind of cool. out of your you're kind of out of your comfortability range. I was at a local restaurant and brewery on a patio doing the show. I lead my show off at 11.05 Mountain Time with the head coach of the University of Utah, Kyle Whittingham. And Kyle and I proceed to talk for 20 minutes. He was great. We talked NIL stuff. We talked upcoming season. All of that stuff. It was fantastic. I hang up with Kyle at about 11.27, and at 11.33, our friend John Wilner sends out the tweet heard around the world. So I missed getting the the reaction of the head coach of the University of Utah by six minutes. And now, of course, you know, everybody's kind of gone radio silent. Nobody's really saying anything much publicly. And we were all just kind of in, it happened live on my show. So I was in scramble mode. I think I was texting you. You were busy calling your sources. And so I, I did it on the fly that day. And then Friday's show was great. I went around the league. You were on my show on Friday. And we talked about everything, and I was getting national and regional and local perspectives on things. And so it's now we're a week into this thing. It feels like we're a month into it, doesn't it? And it feels like it was more way more than a week ago because we've hit every permutation of this. And, and I think everybody here has just kind of settled into a realm of uncertainty. I think Utah fans in this market feel like Utah's in a pretty good position based on where they've placed themselves, based on the university, the market, the success they've had in football because you and I both know that's what drives the that's what drives the, the whole machine but they're uncertain uh, Utah was a member of the Mountain West that you referenced coming in for a long time and their success in the Mountain West is what led them to the Pac 12 Conference uh, people here have no desire to go back to anything resembling the Mountain West Conference again but I don't think they have to worry necessarily about that I think people here are just kind of like, okay, Utah's in a good spot. I've talked to a lot of people regionally and nationally, and they all feel like Utah's in a good spot. They'll end up in some sort of a power-ish conference, whatever that might happen to be. So I I would say that the mood here in this market and among the Utah fan base is um, just uncertainty of what's next in two years, but I think they feel like they're in a decent spot.
0: I think the initial reports – included Utah, Arizona, Arizona State, and Colorado potentially landing in the Big 12. Uh, I made some calls on that front, and I was told, no, the interest was really from the Big 12. That would be a total fallback plan. That's not really what that that block of teams wants. Is that consistent with what you're hearing? I'm not
8: hearing a lot from, from administration, Uh, Actually, I've gotten more on the Big 12 side of things. And when I talked initially kind of over the weekend, it was the Big 12 was formulating. And then earlier this week, the Big 12 was going to reach out. But I haven't heard much on that end of it. Um, Here's what what I feel, John, and and you tell me. The people I've talked to around the conference and locally a little bit, I, I get the sense that everybody's putting on a good face. And I know you wrote something about, you talked to an administrator that says, George is kicking ass. And I think that's the, that's, the, that's the stance you have to take if you're the 10 schools remaining. But I would tell you if you're Mark Harlan or Rob Mullins or Jen Cohen or Dave Heakey or Rick George, you're putting on the positive face and supporting your commissioner because you've got to see what he can put together. You've got to give him a chance to put his plan together because he got blindsided like everybody else did. But I think if you're Mark Harlan or Bob Mullins or Jen Cohen or Dave Heakey or Rick George, you're also putting together your plan B, which covers your backside if plan A with the commissioner doesn't come to fruition. So I think everybody's putting on that positive front forward face, and, and I think that's the right thing to do because, let's face it, there's no sense of urgency right now, John. It's not as if anything is happening in the next six months. It's two years from now. So the Big Ten's not looking right now west anymore. They're waiting on Notre Dame. The Big 12 will gladly take those four corner schools, Washington, Oregon, whenever the time comes. So I think there's time for George Klyovkov to put his plan together, whatever that is, his, his Hail Mary, save the franchise, save the farm plan. But I think every athletic director in the conference is working on their plan B, and I would tell you I think that plan B probably does involve the Big 12 conference. Is it a step back? Maybe a little bit, but that conference is on probably more solid footing today. They know who they are. I guarantee their media rights deal is greater than what you, whatever the Pac-12 could get today. So while it may not be ideal, that may end up being a plan B for some of the schools.
0: We're talking to Bill Riley, ESPN 700, Salt Lake City, the voice of Utah Athletics. On uh, October 15th, USC will come to Utah. How will they be greeted?
8: <laughs> well, when they come to Utah usually, and you know this, because they are the big dog. There's always, They're the school everybody wants to beat. It's usually pretty rough. I will tell you, because you were at Rice-Eccles last year for the Oregon game. Yes. I will tell you that it will be like that maybe another two or three times greater. I think the intensity that night, because there could be a lot on the line with that game. Utah could be undefeated. USC could be undefeated. So there could be a lot on the line in that game, plus the the kind of, okay, these are the guys that busted up our family-type atmosphere too. And there's always the arrogance that USC brings, whether they're good or whether they're bad. So I would tell you the atmosphere – will be very much like, if not maybe even greater than what you experienced when Oregon came in last November.
0: It was an ambush that night, and I I remember, you know, looking around the stadium. I got there early, Bill, and I walked around and watched it fill in, and I thought to myself, gosh, it was a great day. The skies were clear. It was beautiful and sunny and and by the evening, it was evident that, like, it was like an old Western, and Oregon was walking through the canyon, and Utah just ambushed him.
8: Well, and here's the other thing, too, and I'm, I'm not, I don't know Lincoln Riley at all, but he is new to the conference. Lincoln Riley's played and coached at Oklahoma. Lincoln Riley's now at USC. He's brought in 27 transfers that haven't really played in this conference or experienced playing Utah in Salt Lake City. And as I said... There is a an air about USC and there's a good chance that they're going you know, they've been talked about all summer, they'll be talked about in the fall. They may come in here with the big chest and you experienced it last year. A lot of teams have. You know, whether you like it or not, some 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 people and some of these five star kids that USC has, they kind of look down their nose at Utah. That was the fallback school but USC called. So it, it could be I'm not saying that that's what happened to Oregon because I think they were very well aware of how good Utah was because they played. But I think USC could walk into something like that if they, because not there aren't going to be a lot of those guys that have experienced that atmosphere in playing Utah before. So it could be interesting.
0: Oh, I think it's gonna. I think they're going to get it on a nightly uh, basis as they go around the conference. We're talking to Bill Riley, ESPN, 700, Salt Lake City. The confidence that you have or the confidence that maybe Utah fans have in George Kleofkoff, I think, took a hit on his 365th day as commissioner. Um, How much of this do you put on him? How much on Larry Scott, the path that, that led this conference to now?
8: Oh, certainly the more goes on Larry Scott and his disastrous decade-long reign as commissioner and his inability to get good media rights deals and the, the negotiations. He just didn't put the conference in a great spot. You know, I've thought a lot about this because I've read you know, social media. Everybody wants to put some on Klyovkov and may, Maybe you put some on it. Maybe he should have engaged USC and UCLA more. But, John, you've written about the numbers. I've talked about them. What was George Klyovkov going to do in the short term that was going to do anything that would have that would have you know narrowed the gap between a hundred million dollars a year and thirty million dollars a year? What slice of the pie was he going to be able to cut out for USC and UCLA that was going to placate them enough, especially UCLA, who's in horrific debt situations, like a hundred million dollars in debt. It was clearly a money play for them, and for USC, it was it was money and other things too. But I'm just even if he's proactive, even if he's working with the two LA schools, what's Kleopkoff going to be able to offer them that was going to come close to what the Big Ten just simply offered them in a, in a media rights deal? So I, I think I guess because you're in that position, you're going to bear some of the responsibility. It's the whole thing. It's kind of like a quarterback or a head coach. You get too much of the credit, too much of the blame. But I'm I'm not really sure without without having some prior knowledge that this deal was going down, these negotiations were happening. You know, what what was he supposed to do to stop S C and UCLA from leaving the conference in the first year he was on the job, especially when, you know, he probably looks at Martin Jarman and he looks at Mike Bone and they're shaking his hand and everybody's good buddies at these, these photo ops and these meetings. Well you assume you've got a good relationship. So I, I'm I'm not sure how much re- we should really put on Kliovkov in this situation, and I'm not saying that to to try and suck up for the new commissioner. I'm just not sure what what was the move that was going to placate them from leaving for a hundred million dollar media rights deal annually.
0: Yeah, I, I think that the that lot was cast still on his watch. I I still go, you know, I have to think he was sick when he saw it happening. He was on oh. vacation in Montana. When it went down. Can you imagine oh, can you, that? Can,
8: can you imagine? Can you, John, can you imagine he's in the wilds of Montana? He makes a food run into town. He turns his phone on for cell service. I mean, you and I have done that. We get it off an airplane and, it, and our phone explodes. His phone probably melted down last Thursday when he got into cell range. I could not imagine the, the emotions going through his mind as he's scrolling through his messages on vacation. I don't know. What, I, let me ask you just a real quick question because yeah. we haven't talked since last Friday. I know you and Wilner have written a little bit about this ACC loose partnership. I talked to two people that are pretty high up in collegiate administration, not in the Pac-12, but I've got friends in other conferences, and I asked them about this yesterday and, and, and both kind of shot it down and said, there's no such thing as a loose partnership anymore. That's what the alliance was. They, they, they didn't like that part of it, and they didn't like the – they didn't like the distance part of it too. So I know you. You're a little bit on. John's a little bit on. Why? Why do you like it?
0: I like it because I mean, from the ACC standpoint, they can't enter a, a formal merger because if they do, their grant of rights uh, it opens the barn door, right. and Miami and Clemson are going to run out the door, and so they're going li- to they're going to be in the same situation the Pac-12's in. Uh, so they can't they can't do more than a loose partnership. But what I like it is uh, the Pac-12 teams would get to play some crossover games in football and maybe in men's basketball. So I could foresee Utah playing Clemson in an early season game that would take the place of like the game that you know the, you know you're playing this season against Florida. It would be that kind of big early season game. And then uh, I also like it because the rest of the sports on your campuses. Don't have to join an ACC and travel across the country and play games. You just play your normal Pac-10, Pac-12 schedule. I also think uh, it solves the problem of who's going to be interested in this because ESPN is already in bed with the ACC. So I think ESPN then comes to the table and go, Hey, there's more money here. There's more value here. Yes, we'll pay you above, uh, you know, what market value is because now they're going to take all the extra games from the Pac-12. And then you, here's, the, here's the real wild card where I think it really gets lucrative is you have this conference championship game that Utah and Oregon played in last year in Vegas, and instead of having that Pac-12, Pac-12 championship game matchup, you now use that window uh, with ESPN's help to say, look, we're going to take the ACC champion, let's say it's Miami, and we're going to take the Pac-12 champion, let's say it's Oregon or Utah, And you guys are going to play. And and guess what? Second place team, uh, we're going to take Clemson, and they'll play the second place team. So Utah and Oregon get an extra opportunity to get a quality win over an ACC power. Those ACC teams get an opportunity to get another quality win. ESPN gets two huge games, two broadcast windows. Vegas gets to host the the show. Uh, I think you're generating money that is new money there and – and if the game here is to get into the playoff, you know, I think Utah's got the best chance to get into the playoff this season. But if, let's just say hypothetically you're on the bubble and I give you a shot, Bill Riley, to play Miami or Clemson to fight your way into the playoff, I think you'd jump at that.
8: I think so, too. Would, would this? Would you blow up your non-conference schedule for now and just schedule ACC games and no. non-conference games?
0: No, I wouldn't okay. fully blow it up. I would just take maybe one non-conference game and we're going to cross over. And you know, and because Utah has been good, uh, sorry to say, you're going to get Clemson or Miami. You know, or Flor, you know, Florida State might be in that conversation too and Oregon's going to get, you know, a date with Mario Cristobal at Autzen Stadium, which would be a huge draw and a huge ESPN game. And, <laughs> so I just think there's yeah. some there's some opportunities there. Uh, and I think, the, uh, I think the loss comes to the Pac-12 network because I think under that partnership, the Pac-12 network dissolves into the ESPN Plus family or becomes the ACC network or something like that. And uh, so you lose that Pac-12 network, uh, you know, but your Olympic sports are now on ESPN. And, and I, think, I think it solves some problems. And, you know, it's not a 20-year solution, but it's like a five or six-year solution.
8: Well, the, the, as long as they're on board, I just want to know how much more revenue are we what, – what does our media rights get us to? Does it get us close to what a Big 12 deal would? Because if so, I'm all for keeping the team together, playing 10, and then adding those ACC games. But if I if I I you know I can't, if I can't get close to that, because what were we talking about? The new deal was, was hopefully going to be in the low to mid-40s for the Pac-12. Is yeah, that what you're thinking?
0: Yeah, uh, we were – the former Fox president told me $500 million would have put, you know, the shares for every member around 46 47 million.
8: So, that I saw you say that drops that back down to about 30 million. Yeah. But if you can up that and get it back closer to 40 with this yes. new loose partnership with the ACC, I think that's something you look at because, you know, your 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 Big 12 media rights, right now it's 12, but if you're adding to 16 teams or 18 teams, that pie gets bigger and gets sliced up a lot more. It's probably not going to be 45 or 48. It's probably going to be more closer to 40 or 42. Yeah. If you're going into the Big 12.
0: Yeah. All right, before I cut you loose Bill Riley, um, you know, where do you think Utah ends up? Gun to your head, you have to make a you have to place a bet. Where is Utah playing its games in 2025? What conference?
8: So funny. I, this was my poll question the other day to my listeners and I gave them the options of Merger, hybrid conference, Pac-12, Big 12, Big 10. And merger is what what played out with Big 12 being second. I think it's a hybrid of some sort. I don't think it's just I, – I think in 2024, 2025, it's going to be some sort of conglomeration with the Big 12. I love the idea. I hope George Klyopkoff can throw a Hail Mary. I'm just – I'm not sure – if that is going to be sellable to the media rights partners. So I'll say some sort of a hybrid merger conference with the Big 12.
0: There you have it. Bill Riley, ESPN 700. Thank you, my friend. Uh, I'll catch you down the road. Sounds good. Thanks, John. There's Bill Riley from Salt Lake City. I don't agree with him. I don't think, well, I, I guess semantics-wise, I guess we could find some agreement, but I think the Pac-12 remains intact. I think you could call it a merger if the Pac-12 takes some Big 12 teams. See, I see the Pac-12 as the aggressor here, not the, uh, you know, it's the poacher. It's not the poachie. I see the Pac-12 going on offense and looking at Houston and Baylor and Oklahoma City and maybe BYU uh, and going, hey, we want all these markets. And we, you know, you got Salt Lake already, but putting BYU in the fold does add a little bit. To, uh, you know, to the mix when you talk about those crossover games with the ACC. Can you imagine Florida State against BYU, Miami against Oregon, Clemson against Utah? That is like your late December where you traditionally get the conference championship game. You're getting those kinds of games instead. Anna's popping into the studio. Did Larry Miller, the former Blazers president, just blow up the deal that Phil Knight was trying to make to buy the Blazers? Or did Phil Knight turn Larry Miller loose to go after Jody Allen? We'll talk about it next.
1: You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
0: Anna's popped into the studio... The New York Post has weighed in, calling Jody Allen toxic in a headline. The story in the New York Post today uh, quoted Larry Miller, former Blazers president and current uh, head of the Jordan brand at Nike, as saying that Jody Allen is making a mistake. He is quoted as saying, I would say to her, absolutely take the offer. Uh, sources told the New York Post that there's growing disarray behind the scenes. A highly placed team staffer is alleging that Jody's toxic behavior has spilled over into the management team. Neil Olshay, uh and his conduct in the investigation is cited in that. And uh, Also, um, Larry Miller said, quote, the Blazers are not as successful as they could have been. Jody is deferring everything to Burt, and he is not the right guy for the team, Larry Miller said. Uh, According to Miller, Jody refused to take Phil Knight's call when the Nike founder put his initial offer together. She deferred him to Burt Cold. She also has refused to talk with Damian Lillard, who reportedly had issues with the way the team was being run. Uh, Larry Miller uh, is quoted there uh, saying, quote, Damien wanted to sit down and have a conversation with Jody, and she didn't return his call. Uh, Reps uh, for Jody Allen and the Blazers did not respond to requests for comment. Um, The story has a couple things wrong. One, they say that Paul Allen left his estate to his sister. Uh, He did not. She is the trustee of his estate, I don't know. I guess it's semantics a little bit. Uh, also, uh, there's some speculation that uh, you know that uh, Larry Miller uh, was acting here, being quoted on the direction of Phil Knight not going rogue and essentially blowing this deal up. But so I want to ask you this: Anna's popped into the studio, and I want I want to ask the listeners this as well. What do you think is going on here? Is Phil Knight trying to force Jody Allen's hand? Is he frustrated with Jody's statement earlier this week where she again said the team is not for sale? Is uh, is Larry Miller blowing this deal up, or is the Phil Knight-Larry Miller contingent putting pressure on Jody Allen to sell this team that will be effective? Tell me what's going on here. It feels a little bit Game of Thrones.
9: Yeah, it does, but it's fascinating and it's disappointing. Um, I don't think that Larry Miller comes out and talks about Jodie Allen and Vulcan Inc. in this way without the blessing of Phil Knight. I mean, I think the timing of this is interesting shortly after her odd statement that was released earlier this week. And I think it's definitely, you know, to use the younger people's terms, a clapback. I think it's really interesting that, you know, the Blazers right now are trying to sell season tickets to fans. And the common theme that I'm seeing when it comes to comments about those posts, like the Blazers are posting on Facebook and their sponsored ads on social media saying, hey, now's the time to get season tickets. And time and again, the comments that are coming from diehard Blazer fans is sell the team. Give it up. We don't want Jody to own it anymore. We don't want Vulcan Inc. involved. Please, Phil Knight. Give it to Phil Knight. Sell it to Phil Knight.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't think Larry Miller has gone rogue here. I do wonder a little bit I'm gonna tell you something. Like years ago, Merritt Paulson was interested in owning the Blazers, right? Years ago. And there was a um a firm that is a uh uh you know, with the lobbyist firms that are out there that they're kinda of like the fixers. Yeah. I, I'm blanking on like the terminology for this. But they, they They basically get involved as the uh, unknown middle person in this equation the firm reached out to me and they said hey we are interested in knowing whether or not the public would have a positive reaction if Merritt paulson was going to buy the team and i said i thought that the public would have a positive reaction like as i talked to them um and what became evident in that conversation was That the owner of an NBA team, Paul Allen, in the case uh, of years ago with Merritt Paulson, has to want to sell you the team. Yeah. It's not like selling something on eBay, like where you don't really ever see the person's face. Right. This is more like um, a transaction. It's like a for sale by owner house transaction Mm -hmm. where the owner's got to like you and want to sell the team, sell the asset to you. There is part of me here that cringed when I saw this because I thought, oh, crap. You just slapped Jody Allen in the face and Burt Cold in the face, and these are the people that you've got to woo. Like, you have to seduce these people. Like, you've got you've to tell Jody Allen, hey, uh, you know, we're going to put a statue of your brother out in front of the stadium. You can have season tickets, courtside seats for life. You know, you and Bert, anytime you want, you come down and have tickets. Like, you've got to do some wooing here. So it tells me that maybe what happened on Tuesday when that statement went public, I kind of wonder if Phil Knight had made repeated inquiries to her, trying to get a conversation with her, trying to get a conversation with her, and lo and behold, in the 11th hour, she just issued a public statement saying the team's not for sale instead of, like, calling him back. And now he's pissed. And I kind of wonder if we're at the point where like Phil Knight is ready to walk away from the deal.
9: And I hope that's not the case. I mean, yeah, that's clearly this is potentially the fallout from, you know, the end of a wooing period. But uh, I just if it's true that Phil Knight reached out and she wouldn't even take his call and and dished him off to Burt. And then that she won't even sit down and yeah. have a conversation with Damian Lillard, who has obviously the right to have that conversation. This is troubling stuff. Yeah. Like I was a little more Pollyanna yesterday right. about all of it. And uh, my, my rose colored glasses are coming off.
0: Yeah, I guess wonder what the end game is here is for Phil Knight, because, you know, I, I've, I'm told he really wants the team. I'm told that. His son, Travis, had an interest in being involved with the team. Uh, we know that Alan Smolinsky, the owner of the Dodgers, was involved in this, and he is a developer of land and projects. You know, he, he made his money in student housing at USC. And here's Phil Knight, who's having kind of a rough week, because Oregon, you know, isn't going to the Big Ten, at least in this initial push. Now, apparently, um, your Jordan brand president, Larry Miller, is coming out and, you know, smacking Burt Cold around and taking shots at Jody Allen. I don't know if the Blazers are going to end up with Phil Knight or I don't know what we're really seeing right now. I want your phone calls. What do you think it means? 503-417-7575. You weigh in.
1: Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750
10: The Game.
0: Former Blazers president Larry Miller took some pretty heavy shots at Jody Allen and Burt Cold. Jody Allen, the trustee of the Blazers, Burt Cold making all the decisions, former roomie of uh, Paul Allen in college. Uh, that is his uh, his pathway into the position he's in now. Larry Miller, uh, head of the Jordan brand, took some shots today. Um... Insiders are telling me that this is not the way to go about getting an NBA team if you want to buy an NBA team. But I know Larry Miller a little bit, Blazers president. I think Larry Miller. Um, I don't. I just don't see Larry Miller doing this on his own. I don't see Larry Miller, you know, going running the risk of ticking off Phil Knight by, you know, basically speaking out of school. And so I think he probably did this with the blessing of Phil Knight. So does this dovetail with what we saw on Tuesday with uh, Phil Knight? uh, Is he firing back? As Jody Allen basically said Tuesday, the team's not for sale. And what do we do? We all went, that's weird. Why would she come out with that remark? Here we are two days later, and it appears that Phil Knight has fired back via the New York Post. I want to take your phone calls, Uh, Sean, Stephen. I want to hear from you guys as well. But let's go to Pat in Northeast Portland. What are the blazers? What is going on here in blazer world 503-417-7575. Pat go ahead
2: John, it reminds me of a person that's selling a car. It's had a you know a bunch of calls on the car, and one guy calls and he wants to buy it. But you think you might get be able to get more money from somebody else. I got a feeling that Jody, you know, who is nobody, that became a somebody because of her brother and Bert Cole too, who's a nobody, became a somebody, you know, and is powerful now because of that. Um, it's probably had a lot of calls about the Blazers. Probably some of some of them to move, and it may be that uh, Jody, you know, could care less about, uh, you know, uh, maybe she doesn't even like Phil Knight because he's he's done it from, you know, done it on his own. So, you know, if, if she could screw Portland somehow, she might want to do that. So she's in the complete position of power, and this is one time where Phil may not get everything he wants because I know he's used to it.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of just wondering, though, what the end game here is for Phil Knight. And, you know, what do you think, what is going on with the Blazers? You tell me. 503 417 sense of this. Sean, Steven, what do you think?
11: Yeah, I think it's, uh, like you guys were talking about, I don't think Larry Miller is going to come out and say those things without Phil Knight's blessing. Right. Like just with the past relationships that they have, I don't think he's going to say those type of things unless he goes to Phil first and says, hey, I'm going to, you know, I can say these things and get it out there and hopefully can help you get the team. But I think at Phil's age, this move has to be done relatively quickly. And so I think with the Jody Allen statement that she made saying 10, 20 years, now Phil's got to think of something. It's just it's really messy. And I think right now, just like the caller said, Jody has all the leverage. And if I'm in her position, I'm trying to make as much money as I possibly can with these teams. So I, just, I don't think Phil Knight will end up being the guy that you know buys the team, unfortunately, because I do think that would be the best-case scenario for the Trailblazers franchise, not really for the team, but for the fans.
0: Sean, what do you make of it?
11: Sean is on the phone right now.
0: Well, Sean is on the phone. We're going to get Sean off the phone here right now. But I I think as I look at this, Um, I'm torn between, like somebody suggested earlier in the week that maybe Phil Knight's initial strategy was, you know what, come out, make a play for the team, then when the team gets sold and eventually uh, people are unhappy that it wasn't local ownership that bought it, he could say, hey, I tried, I made an offer uh, right out of the gates, but it doesn't strike me as Phil Knight's style. That's just not what he's about. I I think 100% it was a legacy play. I think he wants to own the Blazers. I think Jody Allen has got the team, got the franchise in a he- headlock. And, Anna, as you pointed out, like, team's trying to sell season tickets. I got to wonder if the fan base is going to push back on this one.
9: I don't think – I mean, I really question at this point if they care what the fan base thinks. It, doesn't it feel that way? Like, so much of the fan base – is saying it's like the one thing that can unite, you know, Rip City is like, please just let Uncle yeah. Phil buy the team, and I, I honestly, I don't know, I don't feel like as a Blazer fan that Vulcan Inc. honestly cares that much about what we think. I don't.
0: We're not important to them. It doesn't We're feel like we are. We're
9: insignificant. Am I alone them. in that? No, I don't
11: I, know. I think that's a great point because you know just. You know, I grew up, you know, as a kid in the 90s, in the early 2000s, like even in the 90s when it was Drexler and Porter and Kersey, like the whole town was so united on being fans of the Blazers that it really had like, you know, that small market, you know, I'm part of the team, that's my squad, where now it seems so much more, like you said, there's so much more disconnected from the fans. and they, It just seems like there's no caring about it.
9: We want to care. We want to have recapture that feeling like you, you know, I grew up that way as well. And I wish so much to have that feeling like it makes me happy when I drive around town and you see Rip City stickers and Blazer logos all throughout, not just in Portland, but throughout the state of Oregon and even in southwest Washington. And I just don't feel like we have that in it. I I fear that this is going to be the death of that fandom if this doesn't go right.
0: I already think they're in that area though i i think when i think in the last couple of years after paul's death when the franchise was allowed to run on autopilot i think it lost its way and i think they had they handed over the operation basketball wise to neil O'shea. i think chris mcgowan was a pretty good business guy on the business side and a a decent human being but when he threw the keys in my conversation with him was very much about, like, he just couldn't do it anymore. And I think a lot of us can relate to that when you are in an environment that isn't a healthy environment and you're working somewhere that, you know, it, it feels like you're getting ground into dust. And I, I think Chris McGowan was escaping. Like, he didn't get out of the Blazers operation and go sit on a beach. He left and he went to Detroit to work, have the same role, essentially, that he's in in Seattle but with the Detroit Red Wings ownership. And and so it just told me he was like, I can't do this anymore.
11: Yeah, and John, I, you talk about Paul Allen. The thing about Paul was we all knew he wanted to win, right? He yeah. showed it with the way he you know, spent money and put together the roster and was willing to pay that extra mile. Jody has never shown any of that, right? And I think that's where the real disconnect comes is she puts out this statement saying, you know, I'm about winning. I want to start winning. Well, we don't believe you because you've never
0: yeah. shown any Show of that. me. Show me that. Let's yeah, go dude. to Mike in Portland. Mike, go ahead.
4: Hey, John. First of all, man, uh, they started drifting away from the, uh, the fan base, man, when they changed the name from the Rose Garden to the Motor Center, you know, to an insurance company. I think that was a mistake. And then the second thing, man, is they do market research, they already know what they can get away with. The fan base—they know you're going to come through hell or high water. You, you're not going to deviate from that. And the Paul Allen, John—first of all, Paul, I mean, Phil. First of all, he ain't got no game. Jody Allen is a woman. If a guy is serious about buying a team or putting a deal together, he's—he's going to meet face to face. Maybe take her to dinner. Most deals out here, big deals. Or put together either at dinner or on golf courses. So if he didn't do any of those things, he wasn't serious. Yeah. And another thing, John. But, he but if have, she, she could, won't
0: take his call, how is she how is he supposed to take her to dinner or, or play golf with her?
4: Well, John, that's what I'm saying. He ain't got no game. I personally, I would have found a way to have dinner with her. Then I would have took her to see a movie, The Godfather. Then after that, <laughs>
0: oh, I don't want to know what happens after that, Mike. I don't want to know. You After that, I made an
4: offer she couldn't refuse. Yeah. John, well, you know that, man. That's,
0: that's Mike... all I'm saying. All I know is you're getting breakfast the next day in this scenario. I don't know what's happening. I,
4: I now, I'm talking about making her an offer she couldn't refuse. That's in The Godfather, man. That's all I'm trying to say. So <laughs> you missed the point, John. But I would have got that deal together. You guys give Phil Knight too much credit, man. He's a pattern maker, man. He got lucky, got rich. That don't mean he's brilliant. You got to give him too much credit. Anyway, John. All right. Talk to you later, There's man.
0: There's Mike. Mike. He. They're going out to dinner. They're going to a movie. I don't want to hear what happens next. Let's go to the golf course, though. Mark is on the 17th hole of some golf course somewhere. Mark. <laughs> uh, I'm, a, I'm
2: on the 18th hole. You cost me a three putt <laughs> a shot at the with the shot of the So
0: phone or, in my ear, waiting for it to get on Gonzano. All right. Let me yeah. ask you: Are deals happening out on the course right now? Oh, no, I, it's awesome. I'm out here. My buddies
2: golf nine holes with me, and I kicked their butt. So they, they went home, and I'm just finishing my round. It's beautiful. It's not that crowded, and it's, you know, this is perfect weather. This isn't too warm. Or um, I'm not feeling no pain. So, yeah, I, I'm unwinding what Mike said, uh, things you can't say in the corporate world for $500, please. <laughs> 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 um, I think she's just leveraging. You know, and uh, you know it's 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 business. It's like doing a real estate deal. I mean, she's like, "Hey, I don't really need to sell. You gotta you gotta offer me a little bit more." And uh, I think it's just a negotiating situation potentially. I mean, we don't know for sure, but it just seems like they're leveraging back and forth. Yeah. But I'm having the round of my life. I'm not. I'm nine oh. over right now with one hole left.
0: Go get it done. But there you go. Go get it done. <laughs> All right, we need an update. We need an update. There's Mark in Portland. Uh, Mike says the deals only happen on the golf course. Mark says, hey, I'm on the golf course. I want more of your phone calls, 503-417-7575.
1: Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
0: Five at Five coming up on the other side of uh, the top of the hour here. We'll give you the five biggest stories and uh, what we think about those stories. Uh, we're talking about Jody Allen. Did she get what she deserved today? The New York Post blasted her, the acting owner of the Blazers. They labeled her toxic. They quoted former team president Larry Miller as saying that she's making a mistake by not selling her her late brother's NBA team. Uh, she did not return Phil Knight's calls. She, uh, she stiffed uh, Damian Lillard, too. The piece in the New York Post was a takedown of Jody Allen. I think she got what she deserved there. Uh, but can Blazer fans get what they deserve now? Can they get this team back in the hands of somebody that will love it? Uh, I don't know if this Phil Knight equation is going to move forward. I don't know if they're negotiating or just hating on each other because the negotiations already gone sideways, but apparently uh, Jody Allen doesn't want to sell the team. And all I can tell from Larry Miller's comments is that Phil Knight really wants the team and he's frustrated with Jody Allen. But what do you think? What happens here? What are we watching on Tuesday? Jody Allen issues a statement quote, as we've stated before, neither of the teams is for sale and there are no sales discussions happening on Thursday. Jody's toxic. That's the, uh, that's the rally cry that comes out. I want your phone calls. 503-417-7575. Sean's in Sandy. Sean, tell us what it means.
7: Hey, John. I like Mike's style, but I think that only works for people that like to negotiate or haggle. And I don't think Jody Allen necessarily is the type of girl that likes to negotiate or haggle. And I think Phil Knight came in about a billion dollars too low. I think she was probably insulted.
0: She I don't think she, I don't know if she was insulted by that. 2 billion dollars is a lot of money. And if you want to sell your team and somebody's offering 2 billion, you take the phone call. By the way, you probably take the phone call anyway. Wouldn't you don't you think
9: Anna that Jody Allen should take Phil Knight's call? I don't know how many billionaires she's talking to. Maybe she just has billionaires, you know, it's just round robin on the telephone. Yeah. Who knows? I don't I don't live in that world. I don't allegedly smuggle, you know, penguin bones out of Antarctica and allegedly smuggle giraffe bones out of Africa as evidenced by former allegations. Yeah. I can't even say that. That's so disturbing. Ivory and giraffe bones out of Africa and penguin skulls. This is like this. Like when you read the story out of the New York Post, I know that stuff's been reported before, but I had sort of mentally forgotten about it. Like that stuff is that's like next level odd you know, and the kind of behavior that i just i i don't i can't even comprehend
0: i i, I long for the old days you know
9: <laughs> like which which old days the old days where we
0: where all I knew about Jody was she was paul's sister and she <laughs> wasn't really into the n b a team like she thought it was his hobby, like I long for those days, you know the days when uh well, we just thought, you know, Jody was his sister. She'd show up once in a blue moon at a game. Uh, you know, Paul seemed to care about the team. He would eat popcorn and awkwardly wear a blazer hat, and we would be like, all is well in blazer land. But now she is, like as you said, shining billionaires and millionaires. She won't take Lillard's call. She won't take Phil Knight's call. Uh, maybe she is busy smuggling bones. And And by the way, her secret. Service agents or her security detail yeah they filed a sexual harassment lawsuit against her I know like they have alleged that she has been inappropriate with them they
9: allege that she purchased or had people purchase like super tight swimwear yeah and forced them to perform a fashion show like what I can't wait for the made-for-TV yeah. movie about all of this. Where are
0: they smuggling b- the bones of these animals if they're wearing like speedos? <laughs> like, where are they? Where are they doing this? Like, I have so many questions now.
9: And I know that the attorneys for Vulcan Inc. say these were all trumped-up allegations that they were the security guards were just trying to extort the billionaires out of you know money and whatnot. But still, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that, like, as I'm reading it, I'm like, I can't believe I'm actually reading these things, you know? Yeah,
0: I, and uh, it, it, you couldn't make it up. Like, it feels like it's, like, one of those uh, n- novels that was, like, the Da Vinci Code. Like, you know, you're reading yeah. about some eccentric billionaire <laughs> who's smuggling bones and, and uh, you know, has her oiled-down security guards wearing Speedos <laughs> but- and...
9: And you Paul know. Allen doesn't get off the hook on that. May he rest in peace. I mean, because he was wrapped up in those allegations as well. I think both of them had to pay out settlements to people that yeah, were making these but claims. but he
0: passed away. When people die, we only say nice things about him. You know that, right? Okay, the Five at Five is coming up. Five kind of important things that we think you need to know about. Stay tuned for all of that and more.
1: B F T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the Bald-Faced Truth.
0: I'm just trying to figure out from this... Uh, story in the New York Post I just texted Larry Miller asked him about his comments in the New York Post we need to get Larry Miller on the show feels like we we should get Larry Miller on the show or Phil Knight how about that but did Larry Miller act alone when he blasted Jody Allen and Burt Cold in the New York Post today I don't think so. He's basically, I think, bidding on behalf of Phil Knight, pointing out publicly that she refused to take his call, and I think they're firing some shots back after Tuesday's news release. I think she, I
9: think it makes Tuesday makes sense to me now. Does it not, Anna? It makes more sense, but you can't like browbeat a billionaire in a want, into wanting. To sell an NBA team to you. So that's what's confusing to me. Is like, what is the goal here? What is really the mission for this? Or is it just, we're just going to go to the mattresses because the wheeling and dealing that we've attempted to do so far isn't successful, so we're just going to burn the house down. Yeah. I don't know. What's the goal? If your goal really is to acquire the team somehow, to buy it, does this get you closer? Does bullying a billionaire Mm -hmm. work? I don't don't know that it does. It usually
0: doesn't, but they may be at the point where she said decades. She said 10 to 20 years. Phil Knight's 84. Phil Knight's going, look, I might live to be 94 or 104, but I don't really have that kind of time. Uh, And she is essentially saying, go away, old man, with that statement. If I'm Phil Knight and I'm reading that.
9: So maybe the the tactic is – Just that they are trying to uh, discredit the Mm -hmm. current leadership Mm -hmm. so that the rest of the board members that maybe have a say in, you know, what happens to the Blazers, like the board members with Vulcan Inc. or whatever, maybe it becomes a situation where they are bound by their fiduciary responsibility to sell to Phil Knight. Because maybe they're going to tarnish the image of Jody Allen to the point where
0: she has to step out.
9: She has to step out. The NBA. Or
0: I don't. Is the angle to to uh, basically call upon Adam Silver in the NBA? Is the angle to rope Jody Allen into a situation where the NBA puts some pressure on her to let go of the team? That could be it.
9: Doesn't it seem like that's the only plausible explanation yeah. for why they would take it into such a public arena? Yep. And 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 you know, basically <laughs> criticize her so soundly. Yeah. Like this.
0: Yeah. I mean, they they bl- Larry Miller blistered her. Yeah. Blistered her. Blistered Burt. Cold. Uh. You know. Basically. You know. And, and it was interesting because you know. When Phil Knight made his initial offer of $2 billion, that was leaked, right? right. That that went public. Right. That wasn't Jody and Burt leaking that. Right. That was was from the Phil Knight camp. He wanted that out there. Sure. That, hey, I'm trying to buy the team. Right. He knew, I think, that public sentiment would be strong Uh for him taking over the team. Now they've come out on Tuesday and they say, it's not for sale. Two days later, Larry Miller... Who works at Nike (laughs) comes out and basically tells the New York Post that you know she's a bad owner. The acts of Neil Olshay fall on her. This is all a really interesting drama that is unfolding. Yeah,
9: I mean, I think of the statements that he made to the Post reporter. uh, I it, it stuck out to me that he's saying, "Look, it wasn't any secret the toxicity." of neil olshay and how he was running that operation it's like you can't say that jody allen and Hold didn't know what was going on and just how prevalent olshay's you know tentacles were throughout mm-hmm. that organization and how bad it was yeah you'd have to be like basically he's saying you'd have to be completely out of touch as an owner, mm-hmm. to be able to claim like, "Oh, we didn't know this was going on," you know.
0: Yeah, and and yeah, I think it's all. It's very. I think it's orchestrated. I mean, it's. I think you're, we're watching the takedown of Jody Allen right now. And you know, look, I have, I've wondered, it, given Jody Allen's history with the accusations from the security staff.
9: Yeah, draft bones.
0: Yeah, given that. <laughs> the given that she's been accused of sexual harassment yeah if she were a male owner how much more pressure would have been put on her how much more pressure would the nba be putting on her him if it were him
9: yeah yeah i'm you know? sure gender still plays a factor no yeah, i think in it does kind of
0: because i think you know because she's a woman i don't think that people are as upset about the giraffe bones and and the sexual harassment
9: Oh, no, I think people are still upset about giraffe bones and, you know, penguin carcasses being (laughs) smuggled out of foreign countries. But I think you're right. I think as a society, we still kind of – we don't react, especially in the wake of the Me Too movement. We don't react Mm -hmm. as uh, incendiary ways, you know, to uh, a woman when they're being accused of these kind of things. We kind of go, oh, yeah, she bought some, you know – Skin tight, swimwear, and made her security guards prance around them. I mean,
0: if it were a male owner and he had female staff members wearing bikinis.
9: We'd be all up in arms. He'd
0: be, they, there would be yeah. cries for him to sell the team. Correct, yeah. Is that what is happening here?
9: Well, but that's that allegation's been out there for years. Well,
0: now. let's see what goes on. Uh, let's go to the phones. Jo- uh, Josh is in Roseburg listening on uh, 1490 in Douglas County. Josh, go ahead.
6: I uh, 100% agree with you. Um, I, earlier it sounded like you were saying that, you know, it might blow the deal because you've got to have a good relationship. But recently public uh, public opinion has been such a big deal and public peer pressure, mm-hmm. and I think that's the direction that they're going in. They're going to dig up the stuff from her past. They're going to – that two-year-old allegation, it's going to come right back up to light and – um, just give, make the people of Portland want her out, and uh, and the people of Portland love Phil Knight, so yeah, that, that's where they're going. And not, you know, the NBA too. The NBA can push pressure, but I don't think they're just trying to encourage the NBA to pressure her, but the general public as well.
0: Yeah, I think you, that we're sniffing around this, and I think Tuesday's news release or the news statement that Jody Allen made. We all said what? We said, "Oh, this is, uh, you know, why would she be issuing this statement?" Well, I think it makes sense now. Let's go to D in Portland. D, what do you make of it?
12: Hey, John, hey, Anna. I hope you guys are having a good week.
0: Yeah.
12: Um, John, I'm not surprised, man. She's so toxic. Uh, the whole from top, from the top, has just always been like this. Uh, when I read today that you don't even want to even meet Damian Lillard, someone that's so dang loyal to to you to the franchise. And all he wants to do is win. And you can't even talk to him. Man, I am just going to speak for myself. As a Blazer fan, I'm not going to go to any game. Other Blazer fans, don't go until she sells the team. Because she doesn't care. She just cares about making the most money. Uh, she she doesn't care about us winning. She, you know, as long as we're like mid-tier, that's all she really cares, you know. And I'm, I'm actually quite sick and tired of it. You know, I, I – I used to go at least four or five games a year. Now I don't even care because of everything that they've done. It just shows me that they, they don't care. And yeah. that's all they've, they've always done. Every single year, it's always the same thing every year. Hey, Hope, Hope, Hope. No, nah, man, you build a team to win a championship, not, hey, hope, 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 Hope. No, sorry. I'm getting older. You're getting older. Everyone's getting older. Sell the damn team, please. Because we don't want you anymore. Thank you,
0: John. Have a good day, man. I appreciate the phone call. I think a lot of people, that's the sentiment, Anna, you were talking about with season ticket holders is they're they're on social media trying to sell tickets. And every reply (laughs) was negative.
9: It's one of those things where I was surprised that they even allowed comments Mm -hmm. on what was a sponsored ad because, you know, you can always specify we're just going to do the sponsored ad and not allow comments because the wave of response was overwhelmingly negative. It's like, why would I buy season tickets for a team that is just interested in tanking or being, you know, mediocre? And I don't want to support this organization as long as it still belongs to Jody Allen and Vulcan Trust. That was like, to a person, that's what people were saying. And I think that's that's how people are feeling and it's I feel conflicted because I've always wanted to root for the players. You know, like I care about the players and sort of their mentality and I want to root for Damian Lillard who has so far shown his loyalty to the team, but yeah, like that caller is saying if the owner of the team isn't even willing to meet with your star player, yeah. That that is problematic. That's like that, that is the stuff of purely dysfunctional organizations. Yeah.
0: And you also have Bert Cold in the middle of this thing. And I've had dealings with Bert over the years. And let me tell you, he's not fun to deal with. He's a real drag. He's a real drag to interview. He's a real drag to talk about, you know, uh, I've talked to him very uh, sporadically over the years. Uh, and I think he loves being important more than he loves the franchise, okay? And I really think the minute this franchise is sold, Burt goes back to being irrelevant in the most irrelevant way, okay? That's the reality. I think he knows it. And Larry Miller's comment in the New York Post saying Burt doesn't want to sell the team was really interesting to me. It jumped out at me because Burt is, like, making the decisions. He's the vice chair of the team, all this stuff, um, but he's hiding He's hiding in Seattle, he's hiding out, uh, you know, basically uh, they're dragging out this process, and this team is supposed to be sold. Like Paul Allen's wishes were this team were to, was to be sold, and then the proceeds were to be used to, to fund his passion projects. And now you have this, you know, doltish duo of Jody Allen and Burt Cold who are got the team in a headlock. And I think the more that we unpack this, like, I think in real time we're figuring out, like, they've got the team. Phil Knight wants to make a fair market offer. They're saying it's not for sale. They're unwilling to let it go. And I think it's completely orchestrated that Larry Miller is taking shots at both uh, Jody Allen and dredging up some of the sins of the past. They're dusting off those sins and getting it out there again.
9: Well, you can't allegedly smuggle giraffe bones and at- not have people talk about it for years to come. So
0: Yeah. There you go. Don't do that, basically. All right, the five at five is going to happen, I promise. Next. You've got the home of the truth. Back
1: to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
0: What the hell did uh, Jody Allen want with 72 pounds of giraffe bones anyway? What is that about? Anna, do you know anything about giraffe bones? Like why someone would want giraffe bones? I don't know. What are they used for? I don't know. Sean, Steven, giraffe bones. It's a fun hobby. You're at a, you're at a garage sale. Somebody's got 72 pounds of giraffe bones for sale in their driveway. I'm asking some questions. I'm, I'm like, what do you do with like this? like a
11: super rich person problem.
10: Right. It's probably yeah. something you can sell for a ton of money. She's <laughs> like, probably trying to flip them or something.
11: Like you're just trying to come up with a hobby and it's like, huh, what is does uh, normal people can't have access to? Oh, like bones, draft. Yeah, draft bones. Yeah, let's do that.
9: <laughs> not just any kind of bones. Yeah. Giraffe bones. Maybe it's for like a personal museum. Maybe those draft bones are to be like re you know, organized into an actual giraffe. And so it's like you have your own personal, you know, night at the museum experience in your billionaire enclave. She's trying to go but full yeah. Jurassic yeah. Park. I collect,
10: I collect music yeah. albums, books, maybe rich people like her collect draft bones.
0: Look, give me an idea, Sean. You're trying to impress people who are over your house, and uh, <laughs> you've got, like, what album are you pulling out?
10: Oh man, uh, I've talked about my music taste. I'm a big hip hop fan. Yeah. You know, a lot of Kanye West, okay. Kendrick Lamar. Um, okay, yeah, something like that. I've I've like a, about a dozen. Nothing crazy.
0: When I was when I was a young kid, my grandparents would come over, uh, and they'd come over on a weekend, and my brothers and sisters, if they had like maybe they got a trophy in their soccer league or little league, they would bring the trophy out. And they would show grandpa and grandma, and then grandpa and grandma would pretend to be all excited about the trophy. And, you know, it would be like, you know, it was a family thing. I wonder if Jody, would, like, pulls out giraffe, giraffe bones and ivory. Like, you know, let me show you what I got. Let me show you this thing I picked up in
9: Botswana. Maybe they were trying to extract, I don't, DNA? DNA? Or something. It no, Jurassic but drafts, Park actors are that, still around, so that, it's not like they're trying to recreate Jurassic Park. Are,
11: are the different bones know. worth different value? Like, is the femur the most expensive <gasps> bone possible?
9: This is such a disturbing conversation. Yeah. So, yes. So, so, to be clear, the allegations are, and, and Jody and several uh, former security officers invoked the Fifth Amendment uh, when they were asked about smuggling ivory out of Africa penguin schools skulls, skulls out of antarctica but the usda records uh, appear appeared to confirm at least a portion of the former bodyguard's story so back in 2011 inspectors destroyed 72 pounds of giraffe bones belonging to vulcan according to that usda report the security officers contended that jody had the bones smuggled out of botswana in an operation that had a guide questioned by police and bribes were paid
0: there you go what does she want to do with them though that's my question if i could only get one question with jody giraffe bones penguin skulls
9: what are we doing <laughs> ivory like is this 1956 it's just i don't know i don't know
0: it's wild it's wild stuff uh Let's go. Uh, let's do the five at five. We have to. Let's yeah, do it. Five at five. Come on. The five at five. Twenty-two. Rafael Nadal is pulled out of Wimbledon. In the Wimbledon semifinal, he's withdrawn. Twenty-two-time major champion had pain, and has a torn abdominal muscle. Injury getting worse. He's in the semifinal at Wimbledon. On Friday, he has withdrawn Rafael Nadal out at Wimbledon. He practiced today, hit some forehands, and said, I can't do this. He is walking off. That is number one. Number two in our five at 522.
9: Well, we're talking about the Blazers, so it's worth talking about former Trail Blazers coach Mike Schuler, who has passed away. He was 81 years old is a coach who got his start uh, at the college level, coached at Rice as well, but Portland hired Schuler in 86, and he did take the team to the playoffs in his first two seasons, and that included winning the 87-88 NBA Coach of the Year Award in his rookie year, but the Blazers fired him the following season. Terry Porter saying he was a terrific coach, had great intensity with his coaching style, and focused on bringing out the best in players.
0: Do you, do you remember the scene that Mike Schuler is most known for? I do not. When he was named coach of the Blazers at the news conference where they introduced him, do you remember what happened? No. Shuler got on the stage, and it was a raised platform, Uh-oh. and he adjusted his chair and then went to sit... In the back, two legs of the chair were off the back of the platform. He fell backwards off the stage at his introductory news Uh, conference. No. Yes. No. That was replayed, like you know, George Michael in the uh, Sports Time Machine on Sunday night. That guy replayed that thing, and Uh, Mike Shuler, May you rest in peace. It was memorable. A lot of those news conferences are not memorable. That's true. Number three in our five at five. That's why you come to the show. You get all the backstory. Number three at the five at five. The Raiders have hired Sandra Douglas Morgan to be the team president. She's a Las Vegas attorney. She will be the new team president. She was born in Vegas. She was uh, previously the executive director of the Nevada Gaming Control Board. She is going to be the president of the Raiders the distinction there Douglas Morgan becomes the first black woman to be president for any NFL franchise she was also the first person of color to chair the Nevada Gaming Control Board good for her the latest Raider hire to break barriers Tom Flores was the first Hispanic head coach Art Shell was the first black head coach the Raiders did all of that Anna Number four.
9: got to talk about Sabrina Ionescu making history in the WNBA. The first 30-point triple-double in WNBA history. She did that in a game for the New York Liberty over the Las Vegas Aces. 31 points, 13 rebounds, 10 assists. Nicely
0: done. 30 points in a triple-double. That's pretty damn impressive. Because that's a lot of scoring for one person to get to 30. And it doesn't leave a lot of assists for the rest of the team. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, a lot of times when you see those triple-doubles, especially with guards, you will see, you know, 14, 15 points, not 30, 31 points. That's big time. Way to go, Sabrina. Finally, our fifth thing in the 5 at 5, 22. Washington Commander's owner Daniel Schneider is going to testify in front of the House Oversight Committee in late July. He will do it via video conference. His attorney says that he uh, had offered to be interviewed and will be interviewed. It will be uh, an investigation of the workplace culture of the Washington football team. Interested to see Daniel Schneider face the music. I wonder what kind of questions they'll have for Daniel Schneider. Is this the end game for Jody Allen? Put her in front of a house oversight committee, toxic uh, environment? Is that what the this whole New York Post story's aim was today? Man, we'll have to find out. That's the five at five, five big things going on in the world of sports. Rob in Portland wants to give us a non-sports story that we want to uh, take uh, note of. What's going on? What's going on out there, Rob?
7: Hi. I uh, met Carlos Santana. Of course, he played at Woodstock, and he's had years, decades of wonderful music. Mm -hmm. And my only point is, gee, you know, they invented water a few thousand years ago. I mean, you're supposed to have six or eight glasses a day of ice water. And, you know, someone's got to remind them either to refresh himself on stage or just quit and play golf and relax. Yeah. I mean, for I people who really don't
0: dist- for people who don't know, hold on, hold on. For people who don't know when you when you tell a story you gotta give some setup to the story. For people who don't know, Carlos Santana collapsed on stage during a show in Michigan. He's seventy four. They say he's doing well today. Was he dehydrated? Yes. He was dehydrated and he passed out. No go. in Portland. Go. Yeah. I mean, you know, Jim Morrison,
7: Elvis, we know the drill. I mean, and he's an adult; he's older than I by about nine years. So, and they still haven't abolished that uh, six to eight glasses of ice water per day rule for every adult. And I, I admire the guy; he's brilliant. But you know, uh, you got to learn from history, or guzzle yeah. more water, or both, or something. But what's your, I'm what's, your for what's
0: your favorite Santana song?
7: Oh, shucks. Oh, there are too many to say in too little time. Good gracious. Uh, that Moonflower LP was superb. And uh, Shango is uh, very powerful. And then the, uh, the Black and White LP with the Lion, remember, from 1968. Ooh, la la. Treat is a great piano tune. Oh,
0: Can you sing oh, a little boy. Santana for me? Give me, like, you know, sing a couple bars of your favorite song.
7: Oye como va la vida, buenos panos a... Oh, yeah, come I majored in Spanish at University of San Diego, so uh, it's uh, easy for me.
0: I love that. Alright, how many glasses of water you had today, Rob?
7: Oh, I need um, probably another three or four more to make sure I'm not an hypocrite.
0: Yeah, yeah do it. Get on get the yeah. hose. Get the hose and start drinking. Okay? How many glasses of water you had today, Anna? Mm, probably four. That many. Like water water? Yeah. I I walk around chronically dehydrated.
9: You do. I've tried to help you with that. I bought you that bottle that has like, you're
0: almost there. Keep drinking. She got me this water bottle (laughs) that literally you can see how much water's in the bottle. And it's marked. And it says what time of day you're supposed to be at what level. And I did that for a couple of weeks. And I felt better. But uh, what happened to the bottle? I don't don't know. What happened to it? It's in our kitchen. How many glasses of water have you had, Stephen? (laughs) Uh, I don't
11: know that I've necessarily had just pure water, like Anna was but I've had a couple of, uh, polar seltzers.
0: Okay. So that count? How, Sean, how much water you, uh, not have great. you ingested?
10: Not great. Honestly, some days I feel like I have more coffee than water. It's pretty bad, especially oh, in the mornings.
0: coffee. Yeah. Does that,
9: does that count? Uh, well, coffee dehydrates you, so that's like the opposite effect, right? <laughs> it's,
0: yeah, it's the negative thing.
9: Yeah. Are I mean, you parched right now?
0: <laughs> yeah. Well... <laughs> There you go. That's the five at 522. Five big stories going on. Uh, We will uh, unpack those stories next. Leave it here.
1: Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The
0: Game. I got an idea for Phil Knight. Thinking about this on the commercial break. You know, basically what we had today in the New York Post, the sins of Jody Allen dusted off. Penguin skulls, giraffe bones, ivory, smuggling, security guards in Speedos doing a uh, fashion show, Uh, all of that, right? Um, You know, this, this comes in the wake of Paul Allen wanting to buy the Blazers. He's made a $2 billion-plus offer for the Blazers. Maybe, guys, what he should do is reissue the offer using dinosaur bones and, and penguin skulls. Do you, you know? do you
11: know the equivalent of you know a bone
0: per dollar? I don't know. Is there a way to look that up? Uh, I don't know what those are worth. Anna, what were you trying to say to me? What did I say? Oh, I said Paul Allen. Oh, okay, sorry. She was waving at me going, Paul Allen. And I was like, what are you talking about? I said Paul Allen. I meant Phil Knight. But Phil Knight, let me just back that up. Maybe what Phil Knight should do is reissue the offer in Penguin Skulls. Is that like Bitcoin? Is that like crypto? (laughs) Penguin Skulls and Giraffe Bones. Uh, I'm fascinated by this. Sean, can you do us a favor? Yeah. Are you doing anything important? No. Okay. Can you find out what the market is? For giraffe bones and penguin skulls i'm on it what's the big deal
11: hopefully the hopefully the company website doesn't like block you for like a mysterious website yeah. you're going
0: to here <laughs> next thing you know is the cia is at his apartment they're knocking, knocking on the pack
11: west building right here
10: <laughs> knocking on the door dinosaur bones and giraffe bones that's Pen-
0: penguin skulls too. penguin
10: skulls got it
0: yeah uh you know what i'm saying yeah i mean i it may be uh you know the a couple billion dollars you know you know it, that's it. That it. It's not Bitcoin, but you know, it's it's worth something. So uh, I'm getting at this. I, I want to hear from Blazer fans right now. I, I've spent a lot of time talking about the Pac-12, and I'm happy to be talking more about the Pac-12 if that's what people want to hear about. But what I really want to know is, you know, there seems to be a prevailing sentiment or an overriding wave of enthusiasm for Phil Knight as the owner of the Blazers. Is that because? it's something different than Jody Allen and Burt Cold? Or is it really that the idea of Phil Knight owning the team gets people enthusiastic about the Blazers? They're trying to sell season tickets. I gather, because of where I see them advertising on social media and other places, that they may be struggling to sell season tickets right now. They're coming out of a season in which they tanked. The draft pick is not going to move the needle. It was the seventh pick. It wasn't a player that's going to come in and like be a game-changing force. I can remember when the Blazers got the number 1 overall pick with Greg Oden. I think they sold 4,000 season tickets the same day that that ping-pong ball fell in their direction. So, I'm I want to hear from Blazer fans. What is it about Phil Knight that gets you excited about potential ownership? Or is it just it's not Jody Allen? 503 417 7575. Sean, have you found anything out about penguin skulls, yeah, Ivory, I'm, and on this, bones?
10: I'm on a website right now. It's called uh, Dinosaur's Rock. We bring okay. the museum to you. Uh we can start with the penguin skulls. It looks like an African penguin skull goes for about one thirty nine. And then Wait, wait, wait. $139? 139. 139 dollars. So none of these prices have been that eye opening, honestly. Um not as not as crazy as I thought. And then Uh, You know, the higher end, if we're talking about dinosaur skeletons, so a full dinosaur skeleton, we're talking uh, $18,000, $10,500. So maybe if you go for the dinosaur skeletons, that's a better investment.
0: There you go.
11: John, I think she's really going for the Jurassic Park thing.
0: That's the only way to make money.
11: Welcome to Jurassic
0: Park. What if, like, if you, like, I have to think, and I've said this about Paul Allen. I'm going to say it about her sister now, his sister now. But what if you're a billionaire? I want you all to imagine. Stephen, you're a billionaire. Yeah. Not just a billionaire. You're a multi-billionaire. $20 billion net worth. Okay? Okay. So there's a select company you're in when you have that much money. Now, I'll, ask, I'll throw this at you as well, Sean. You're a billionaire. I kind of think that billionaires get numb or desensitized to the normal things that get the rest of us enthusiastic. I get enthusiastic about a sunny day, a trip to the beach, some time with family, being at a ballpark or a stadium where there's a big game. Paul Allen, he needed a submarine. He needed to be in Helsinki. He needed to be, like, you know, he, he couldn't just look at a picture of a polar bear. He had to go see one in person. Like, what weird thing would you be into if you were a billionaire, let us get to know you a little bit, Steven.
11: yeah, that is that's a really good question because you, know, you talk about the little things that get me excited. I'm going to Vegas tomorrow, so I'm like, really excited about Ooh. that But, I mean, I guess if I was a billionaire, i'd i just buy my own casino. Like yeah. I would just create my own casino.
0: It's cause it's not enough because part of the thrill of being in Vegas is what? You go to Vegas. You play a little blackjack. Yeah. you go to the buffet. maybe you see a show. you know, you go to a club. you know, Paul Allen, Jody Allen. Gambling roulette isn't going to do it for her.
11: Yeah, like I'm going to create my own Vegas. I'm going to create Steven Vegas.
0: I like it. Lost Steven. Sean, what weird thing would you be into?
10: <sighs> weird thing? Uh, that's, a, that's a great question. I Come know... on,
0: you're, you're stalling. When you have had all this time to think, you know I was I, coming I've, to you. You say it's a great qu- you've you say it's a great question because you're trying to buy some time, right? Like just go to the first weird thing that you you feel comfortable sharing.
10: Um, let me start with the normal thing. I know I would want to, uh, <laughs> I'd want to own a team, you know, sit courtside at every game, have all that power. You know, I think just coming as a, you know, a sports junkie and, you know, someone that works in sports radio, I know for a fact, I want to own a team. We talk about a weird thing. I, you know, I, uh, you might have to give me a couple more minutes no, on that one.
0: You know what I think? I think it is. I, what popped into my mind is I'd want, if, if I were that kind of billionaire, i'd walk around buying people's shoes right off their feet you know what anna i like your shoes i want them <laughs> that's so weird not not you know that's what i mean weird. that's what a weird yeah. billionaire would do eccentric yeah. they call you eccentric they'd be like canzano you know what he does he walks around sees a pair of shoes he likes on someone he doesn't say where did you get those he says i want those name your price and they say they're not for sale You're not for sale and you go yes they are <laughs>
11: well, that- The thing thing about that is, John, is uh, the famous story of Allen Iverson. He only wore his clothes one time, and then he would leave them in the hotel rooms when he played the NBA. And that's why he went broke.
9: (laughs) Well, a billionaire he was not.
11: Yeah, so it's like if I'm a billionaire, I'm wearing wearing clothes one time, and I'm just getting rid of them.
0: You're eccentric, and you're broke in that case.
9: Sean's anecdote makes me think of one of uh, my favorite stories that I ever got to do in reporting was uh, back when it was called the Rose Garden Arena, and the Blazers were in the playoffs, I don't know if you guys remember, but uh, they would open up the arena when the Blazers were playing an away playoff game, and fans could come in and watch the away game up on the Jumbotron and root together, and uh, I found, like, a 10-year-old boy Sitting in the seat that Paul Allen normally sat in courtside as yeah. he watched the game, and I just—it I, was like one of my favorite interviews. I was like, "Do you know who normally sits here during the Blazer games?" And it was—it was really cute.
0: You know what I would do if I owned a team and I was a billionaire like that? What, what I would—I would, would sit in the 300 level.
9: You would? Yeah. Yeah, they with the people
0: buying uh, buying up all the shoes in the three hundred level. Well,
11: oh would God. you be one of the owners that is you know standoffish and lets the lets no you know, or you're you're all in, you're hands on.
0: I'm drinking a like a a cheap beer. <laughs> I'm sitting in the three hundred level. I'm leading the chance. I'm embarrassing <laughs> my family, <laughs> acting like I'm at like you know a rec league game. Yeah, leading the chance from the three hundred. spilling level. beer
9: and people go, let's go Blazers. <laughs> and then I
0: and then I go. You know what? If you people don't start chanting, you're all kicked out of here,
11: you know? And then when someone plays bad, you, are like, start a chant of trade that player.
0: You know what? It would be the first case of a player traded during a game. You know <laughs> the game. You know, in a game? Just go to the locker room. You're gone. Switch, That's switch happened locker before. rooms.
10: That's happened before.
0: <laughs> yes, during a game. Jeez. You need to sit. Sorry. Uh, how
10: come? How come more billionaires don't just like? Maybe they do, but like just making someone's day like every day. Like you're at a blazer game and you're at the 300 level, just walking around, and you just you just walk up to someone and say, "Hey, you're sitting courtside tonight." Oh, like, I love that. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's easy to say, but how how many billionaires? I feel like that's a pretty easy thing to do, and if they if they're truly kind people, I feel like that would be a really easy thing to do if you're a billionaire yeah. and just making someone's day like that every day.
0: I'd wear a disguise when I did that, though. Because I wouldn't boss. want people. I'd be like
9: undercover boss, Yeah. yeah. I'd be
0: in a, a big like Chicago Bears style Midwestern mustache.
10: Make like some good YouTube you know? content must- out of that.
9: A mustache? <laughs> Not a mustache,
0: but a mustache. Yeah. And I'd have like, I'd be, people would be like, look at that bozo drinking a, you know, a Coors Light sitting in the 300 level. Leading the chance. And then people, be, they would visiting fans would be like, who is that jackass? And then people like, that's the owner. Well, that's the you're, owner. You're wearing a wig so
11: no one could be like, oh, that's not Gonzano. He's got hair.
0: Yes. Wearing a wig, handing out tickets. I love it. See, that's why we should own this team. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We scrounge up
11: enough dollars. Oh, wait. The team's not for sale.
0: Sorry. We right, don't need dollars. We just need penguin skulls. Like, you know, that's it. And the apparently they're not that expensive. It. I think we're in. <laughs> yeah.
9: The best part about all this is that we're sitting here with total conjecture and advising other billionaires yeah. on how to spend their money. The, well, here's what here's what Jody Allen should do with Phil Knight. Like, we don't know. We, well,
0: you know. you know, we do know. We do. Because this is part, like, nobody's, like, I, I guess there are cases that people are born into money, but nobody comes into the world like knowing that they're a billionaire on day 1, right? Like Jodie Allen, she got to where she is how? Her brother. Yeah. Burt Cold, he got to where he is. Wow. He was assigned as Paul Allen's dorm mate. Mhm. That's how they that's how they got this team. It's as arbitrary as Steven showing up on this radio show. I mean, come on, why
11: That's not? That's exactly what happened. I just showed up one day. Yeah, and just, you know, gave, me a, gave me a key card.
9: I don't even know if he's getting paid. You know, he's here. So. I'm shocked that nobody mentioned the mega yacht. I mean, if any of us were billionaires, yeah. don't you think that the mega yacht is an attractive, you mm. know, excursion? I'd rather have
11: a cool car. I'm with Anna. Really? Give, me, give me a yacht or two or a jet. <laughs>
9: Do you, do you guys <laughs> know about the, the
0: bedroom that's at Moda Center?
9: Uh, do, do we want to know? You know
0: this, do you know about this? There the There's an apartment uh, up in the roof in the rafters at Moda Center. If you look up next time you're at Moda Center, you will see at one end of the building some windows and curtains uh, and what looks like glass way up there. Paul Allen has an apartment. He had an apartment that he kept at Moda Center. You know what? I live in that damn apartment. <laughs> I I've never been inside of it. I mm-hmm. heard some stories about it, but I've never been inside of it. And I have often, if you're in the 300 level, you got a pretty good vantage point to see it. The curtains open up, like Paul Allen be up there in his chonies, walking around, you know, making coffee, whatever. And the Blazers are probably warming up for that day's game,
9: rearranging know? the draft bars. Yes.
0: just in yeah. pajamas. There you, that's what I would do. I would just be up there mm-hmm. drinking my beer, hanging out in the apartment, watching the game.
9: And then heading up to the helipad back to Seattle. There you
0: go. That's why you come to this show. Leave it here. You got the BFT statewide.
1: Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750, The Game.
0: Friday, uh, they will be having the memorial service for Harry Glickman. That is tomorrow. His family, uh, they are holding the memorial service. There are a line of speakers that are going to speak about Harry Glickman. uh, On tomorrow's show, we'll talk about the godfather of sports in our state. I want to give a shout-out to uh, Harry, who – he was always good to me. He was – a titan, and I don't think they're they're going to. Uh, I don't think we're going to make city leaders, visionaries like that anymore. He was a guy who attended the University of Oregon and came out with a uh, journalism degree, became a promoter, but bigger and better yet, Harry Glickman liked to dream and liked to think big and make big plans, and I really like that about Harry Glickman. And they will uh, officially put him to rest tomorrow as part of that memorial service. Uh, I know his son Marshall and the family members are, uh, I think, really excited about celebrating Harry in that service tomorrow. And uh, I think it's going to be really cool. Senator Ron Wyden will be joining that service. He'll be speaking. I believe Bill Shonley will be speaking. And... Terry Porter and some others, but uh, Harry Glickman just an absolute titan, and with that deep gravelly voice, like you talk about, like you know Harry Glickman appearances on this radio show over the years, it was uh, always a joy to have Harry Glickman join the program, and always a joy to to you know get a chance to talk with him. But it it was just his voice, like sometimes it didn't really matter that much what he was saying because he delivered it with that baritone gravelly voice i always sort of uh likened it to a, a one of the baritone opera singers who who had like gravel or had morning like in the early morning when you wake up and you kind of got you know you got to clear your throat like harry glickman he he brought it listen to the listen to glickman here here he is on this show uh years ago talking
13: uh i w- i will say this Prior to the season, when everybody was predicting disaster for the, for the franchise, uh, I watched him out of the practice facility a, facility a couple of times. And I told uh, Terry Scott, I says, you know, this team's a little better than most people think. It's going to be fun coaching them. And I think it was, and it was fun watching them, and I think it was. Uh, I never thought we were going to win more than 40 games or anything like that, but I thought they were going to be fun watching them. And they, it was fun. They were a lot of uh, a lot of good guys on this team.
0: There's Harry Glickman. When I hear that voice, I get a smile, and I'm sure uh, people who uh, know Harry over the years and have uh, spent time around Harry um, also probably uh, enjoy hearing him. Was that? Did he overrule the basketball people? Was that a big on
13: that one? Yeah, the basketball people didn't at the time we brought him into training camp didn't say, hey, there's no way we can let this guy go. They didn't stand firm enough, and I think Larry would have listened to him. But they said, yeah, he's doing okay. He might be all right. Uh, and I remember uh, Bill Walton coming to me and asking me if we were going to keep him. I didn't know at the time. He said he's one heck of a basketball player. Well, it was true in the pudding. Was-
0: there it is. There's Harry Glickman talking about the good old days. They will put Harry Glickman to rest, uh, officially tomorrow. But here's the thing about Harry Glickman, like I hope the city, I hope the region, I hope the state continues to uh, you know, live by the virtue that Harry Glickman brought to the sports scene. You know, he he with the Buckaroos and with the Blazers, uh, and certainly his love of the University of Oregon. Um, he was all about major league baseball coming to Portland, like You know, he summoned me on more than one occasion to uh, have coffee with him downtown, and he just wanted to talk about the sports landscape, the sports scene. He cared so deeply about sports in our region, and I frankly don't believe that we would have the sports footprint that we do today if it weren't for uh, Harry Glickman and the vision that he had, um, you know, in... uh, and the vision and the dreams that he made, and certainly worth celebrating today, tomorrow, and beyond. Uh, I hope we all continue to hear Harry Glickman's voice in in the best of ways. Anna, you 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 were here. You know the Blazers don't get here without Harry Glickman.
9: And for that, I'm so grateful for the role that he played. I mean, it takes people like that who have a vision, who create something from nothing, and who most importantly can galvanize the type of support um from people uh and powerful you know influential people with means obviously that's not easy to do to try and create a team out of nothing like that and it's left a legacy in Portland that uh I hope is honored in the decades to come and not something that's gonna just um fade away because I feel it's slipping away right now and uh I regret that
0: yeah it I think if you are a Blazer fan, you got to your you put your Mount Rushmore up of Blazer personalities that you can debate Bill Walton, Maurice Lucas, Damian Lillard, Brandon Roy, Clyde Drexler, you can debate Dave Tordzik, you know, Jim Paxson, you can Bobby Gross, you can Dr. Jack, you can Bill Shanley, like who should be on Mount Rushmore? But what's not in dispute, is that Harry Glickman is up there. It's, who's up there with Harry, is the rest of the conversation because the Blazers don't exist. They're not a franchise. They're not here without Harry Glickman. And I don't know that you can say that about too many people in uh, in sports and in, in life that, like, you know, what a difference. What an impact that his life had on a region. Not just his own family, not just sports, but the impact of a region, Harry Glickman. um, They will honor him tomorrow at his memorial service, and uh, we'll talk about him on tomorrow's show. I want you to grab a podcast of this radio show. More than 3 million people have already listened to podcasts of this show this year. I want you to join them. Make sure you subscribe. If you're listening in Portland on 750 The Game, Peter Sampson and The Pulse are coming up. Uh, always interesting, especially right off the top of the show. Love the opening monologue that Peter will go on. So stick around for Peter Sampson and The Pulse coming up. We're back tomorrow.